All right, so this week on OE Heat, we're going to be talking about the face that runs the place, John Cena. Pretty appropriate time, right? Like, we totally didn't plan this or anything to talk about John Cena right after, right before he made his return to WWE. Um, yeah, so with that being said, I'll just welcome in my the regular Elite Heat co-host, Elitist. How you doing, sir? Yo, yo, I'm doing good. Um, and yeah, Kevin, we, we never thought this, you know, you in, in a million years, we, we could never have seen that Cena would have come back. Um, we definitely didn't have this planned and written down for about three months in advance. But nonetheless, nonetheless, um, it's all good. We're doing a, you know, our Cena bio. Um, this should be a sack of fun. This is going to be a two-parter. Um, so this one is going to be covering like a mass majority of like Cena's career. And then next episode is a lot of kind of legacy talk and just stuff with his current run. So it's going to be a sack of fun, Kevin. Can I like to discuss the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the face that uh, runs the uh, place? there john yeah it seems kind of like the formula for us right now is like when we have a superstar or a wrestler if you will that is worthy of talking about for maybe three to four hours like john cena is instead of doing that in one episode we'll spend like an hour and a half maybe two hours here and then another two hours next week or maybe sometime down the line we'll give it a little two-parter uh, john cena if, if anybody is worth a two-part episode i think it's john cena am i right yeah i mean some could argue he's worth a three-parter but yeah we'll, we'll settle with two um just because you know we love seeing about like three three different parts of an elite heat bio. Could be a bit excessive, but yeah, it's gonna be fun to part bio. We're gonna go over everything really, or at least try to. I'm sure someone, you know, some commenter is gonna be like, "Oh, you you missed his match on SmackDown against Hardcore Holly in 2004." But nonetheless, Kevin, we'll, we'll, we'll try our best to cover all the really important stuff with Cena because man deserves it. Incredible career. It's gonna be fun to talk about. Absolutely. I, I guess off top, we'll just we'll start with just what ha- what just transpired. Um, John Cena just made his return. We're on the heels, what, six days ago? He made his return at Money in the Bank. And then he was on Raw. And he's going to be on SmackDown tonight. We're taping this about two hours before SmackDown. So John Cena's going to be there. Uh, first thing I'll ask you, what what are your thoughts about John Cena's return? We touched on this on Money in the Bank review. But like, what, what do you think John Cena means to wrestling? I wouldn't say like what, what he means to wrestling overall. What do you think he means to wrestling right now in 2021 and beyond? Oh, that's a fantastic question. It really is. Because I, I, Cena is such a weird one, you know, because for many years there was the whole narrative, you know, Cena killed wrestling, Cena drove away fans. Really one thing I've been seeing just generally and realizing as time goes on is that Cena didn't kill wrestling. He just changed the audience. He was the face for a new era of wrestling. And now that he went away for about a year and a half, he's come back. I think people were almost unanimously very appreciative because you, you see the star that Cena is and it means a lot for wrestling. It really does to have Cena back. I mean, you heard it with the pop and money in the bank, Kevin. Like, my God, like the building was shaking. So, yeah, I think having Cena back is awesome for wrestling. It, it brings an air of excitement that wrestling hasn't really had in a while because 2020 had its moments. Edge returning was awesome. Reigns did some good stuff. McIntyre was good. Sasha and Bailey were good. But, on the whole, nothing really compares to the hype that that Cena return generated, and in turn, the hype SummerSlam had. So, to answer the question, hopefully it means really good things to wrestling. I really do, because Mike man deserves it, you know? So, what do you think? What, what I think Cena means for wrestling in the current day is he keeps them relevant. He keeps the ship alive. He keeps, a, he keeps them above water. Because he's clearly there, and he's doing Roman Reigns' job better than Roman Reigns can, and that's still, you know, with those words that Cena said in 2017, they still ring true today. 
Cena comes back and he's the talk of town. But there's also like a point too where there's only so much that Cena can do. There's only like you have Cena out there and then you're following that up with Jackson Riker. Or you have a show that's literally yeah. with Nia Jax and Natalia running around and Shayna Baszler talking to Lily Dolls. Like there's only so much that people can tolerate. Where even though like you can sense away the clip of Cena returning, you'd be like, Oh my god, it's Cena. And then they turn on Raw to go watch Cena. And then forty five minutes into the show, you've got like Apollo Cruz doing a bad Nigerian accent, getting yelled at. No, so I'm, no just I, I need to fix it up so no commenter gets angry. Yes, I know Apollo Cruz on SmackDown. The whole point is that it'll be some jobber like a Jackson Riker match, or it'll be Shayna Baszler screaming at a doll, or it'll be I don't bloody know what else happens on Raw. Mandy Rose is off Raw, so I, can't, I was gonna say I was gonna say Mandy and Dana, but you get the point. You know, it's just. Well, that, well that, that'll be tonight on SmackDown. You have Cena and Reigns. They'll do, like, a confrontation. That'll be really epic. And then the next segment would be, like, Apollo Crews getting beat up by some random person, whoever, Shinsuke Nakamura, insert whoever, is going to beat yeah. up Apollo. And then some casual is going to be like, oh, okay, I'm not going to watch this then. Like, I don't care if John Cena's there. Like, you can just go watch John Cena on the big screen or on a TV show or in commercials. Like, if you really need to get your John Cena fix. I think he's also he's outgrown wrestling in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. You know, like you look at the landscape of wrestling, and obviously, people nowadays are you know, I guess, better in ring. You know, the the in ring moves are more crisp. Um, everyone's spent two decades training to wrestle, and now the in ring's flawless. But there's nothing really else with a lot of guys nowadays. So in that regard, Cena. Is just exponentially bigger, more successful, more relevant, more interesting, more fascinating than anyone nowadays. And one thing I find interesting there with the Cena and Reigns stuff, you mentioned Cena brings relevancy back to WWE and you know, does Reigns' job better than he does in that regard. I think that's hilarious because you know R- Roman Reigns' bit for the past year is that he's on the island of relevancy. He's the head of the table. Like when you, know, you, you fight the Golden Glove, you're relevant. So... To, to see Cena come back and be exponentially more relevant than Reigns is is just hilarious. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I'll say overall what Cena means to wrestling. I'm pretty sure you'll agree with this. John Cena was the guy that bridged the gap from the ruthless aggre- I'm sorry, from the Attitude Era to the Ruthless Aggression Era and the PG Era. He was the gap between Austin, Rock, and then you had, you know, you had Brock Lesnar, Kurt Angle, those guys in between. And Cena was the next guy. And Cena really held the ball for, what, 15 years? An unprecedented run. His run is b- bigger and better than Hulk Hogan's run on top. Not, not Maybe not better, but bigger. And Hulk Hogan wasn't on top for 15 years. And then on top of that, Cena did it in the modern era, where there's just yes. like, there's so many TV shows, so many hours of matches, just, just countless, countless cycle of filler. Hogan wrestled, like, what, once every three weeks? Like, yep. there was, like, a pay-per-view every three months. Cena was doing it month in, month out for 15 years. He hardly ever took breaks. Like, just the ultimate Iron Man, the hardest-working wrestler, the hardest-working wrestler of all time. I don't even think that's up for debate at this point. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about this in more detail in the second part, about how, I mean, Paul Heyman and a bunch of people consider Cena the genuine greatest of all time. It's, like, not because of his, you know, how great his status was in WWE TV. Like, he, he didn't reach, like, just the heights of Hogan and Austin or Rock, if that makes sense, as far as just what he was doing. But when it comes to his longevity of dedication, perseverance, excellence, no one did what Cena did. When you have days where you sleep four hours, you make, you know, you, you travel, make a media appearance here, 
you do your, your gym workout, you do another media appearance, you make a wish, you're promoting WWE on this, you do the live event, then you get on the tour bus and you sleep for three hours and then you go to this town, you're the face of Raw for this. It's just, he did that for over a decade as the top guy. It's just, it's unbelievable. So Kevin, unless there's anything else you want to say, I think we can get into our, the, uh, the definitive timeline of uh, Steiner's career there, John. Yeah, let's talk about it. So John Cena comes into WWE in 2001. It's really odd to think that Cena has been around in WWE for that long. It's just crazy. He came in at the tail end of the Attitude Era. Uh, he was in OVW. We all know he was in OVW with, with himself, John Cena, Randy Orton, Brock Lesnar. Yeah, Shelton Benjamin in that class. Batista. Just an unbelievable class of talent for that OVW developmental class. It's really like that's a legacy in and of itself. It's kind of like the the NBA draft class that had you know LeBron James and Melo and Wade and all those guys in a lot of respects. It's yeah. really crazy to think because nowadays you have like I guess people would point to a modern example of this class would be like the NXT class of Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, uh, Hideo Itami, those guys. That's yeah. like maybe the best example. But it's just it's insane to think that John Cena was just plucked out of nowhere. Like he went from I think he I think he worked at a gym if I remember correctly. And then he's just all of a sudden in OVW, and then he's in WWE. It's really humble beginnings. Yeah, well, the thing that's saying is that he was like an aspiring bodybuilder, and obviously he loved wrestling growing up for sure. Like he was a massive wrestling fan growing up, but really he was like an aspiring bodybuilder. And then, you know, in in years since, we've had a couple of wrestlers bring that up in promos. It's like you're only here because you you couldn't cut it as a bodybuilder and that kind of thing. But really, just generally, seeing as OVW class, I mean, yeah, Brock Lesnar. Batista, Randy Orton. I mean, Cena talks about it, you know, because like Batista and Brock Lesnar were like, I mean, physically, those are the guys who are like, oh my God. Like Brock Lesnar is just a once in a lifetime, like specimen. Like you you, you just don't make Brock Lesnar. So Lesnar was always like kind of the one who was like, he's going to be the one we push immediately. Batista was always the one who, yeah, he, when he came in, he was like 32, 33. But even then, because of his you know physique and those attributes and those intangibles, he was always going to be like a priority star. And then Randy Orton was like, oh, well, you know, his dad was Bob Orton. You know, he's, he's the third generation WWE superstar. So Randy Orton was always, even then, above Cena in like that pecking order, so to speak. And then Cena was just like the fourth guy. But out of the, out of the other three, you know, compared to the other three, he was the hardest working one. He was the one who had the most dedication to the business. He was the one who, you know, tried to push himself more than any of the others, especially Randy Orton. And yeah, in reality, it, Worked out for Cena. His career went pretty well, didn't it, pal? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Yeah, you mentioned the hardest worker. I, I think it, I mean, it goes to show, and definitely the most passionate. Brock Lesnar just there for a check, and we're like, oh, you know, we, we want you, pal. You're a, a college wrestler. Come make some money. Randy Orton could care less. And then you know, Batista. I mean, you could say Batista was passionate. I, I think Batista. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not saying we're not saying Batista didn't have passion, but I mean, in the the long run, when you look at it. I mean, Cena and what he did clearly shows he was the most passionate out of all of them. And Batista, I mean, Batista's whole story, correct me if I'm wrong here, but his whole thing was that, yeah, he was, yeah, I believe homeless. He went to prison or that kind of stuff. And then he made a WWE in like his early 30s. And that was like, you know, he, he finally made it. So, yeah, it's Cena in the long run just outshines the rest of them, and especially compared to Brock and Randy. But yeah. Right. What, I, what, I, what I was going to say with Batista before he cut me off was that Batista, right. he. he he has the passion 
but he gets like he gets overwhelmed by the fans and he lets the fans get to him. And like like when he got booed when he came back in twenty fourteen, he didn't like it. He didn't like getting booed towards the end of his career. He didn't like the PG direction. John Cena rolled with all the punches. If Vince told him, Hey look, this is what we're doing now, pal. No more blood, no more cursing, we're gonna do this, we're gonna appear to kids. That's what Cena was gonna do. Cena gets booed, he gets threatened at it in uh, was it New York for ECW one night stand oh six. He rolls with the punches. So just Cena is just a lifer and he still comes back. He still makes time for WWE. It's insane. But yeah, moving on. So Cena makes his debut in two thousand two on an episode of SmackDown. And yeah, I mean the rest is history. Good, man. Yeah, play it out for us. Yeah, so you've got a time in WWE where, I mean, you're June 2002, you've got Austin's you know, taking his ball and left because he has to put Brock Lesnar over in a Raw match. You've got The Rock's there, but you know, the, the sense is he's, he's going to leave and go to Hollywood imminently. You've got your Hogan's and stuff are back, but they're not going to be the future of the company. Hogan at that stage was, I mean, just getting old. Like, you got a WWE landscape which is ever changing, it's shifting. WWE are panicking. They they need something new, something fresh. So Kurt Angle's in the ring cutting a promo, and you know he does like a little open challenge, I believe. And then Cena comes out to a bit of a generic bum theme song. He comes out looking looking like Creed Wrestler Prototype One coming out there, all jacked up, wearing just basic boxes. He comes out and you know yells, you know ruthless aggression. I'm John Cena at Kurt Angle, and then slaps him, and they do a match, and just Kevin. This debut was so memorable. Um, it, it was one of these debuts which, I mean, this was two decades ago. You need to do no research to remember what this was. It's up there with Jericho's debut. It's up there with, I mean, God, it's one of the best debuts ever just because of the, the gravity of the situation. Like, Kevin, I mean, you can speak to this pretty well. Like, he's confronting Kurt Angle is a big deal. Like, that's nothing to, yeah. Yeah, and people disrespect this comparing some jobber in NXT confronting Adam Cole this to this Cena and Kurt Angle, but I digress. It's something that when you look at this moment, I've always said this, this moment could have gone one of two ways. This would have been something that WWE would have completely whitewashed had John Cena failed. It's funny that you call him prototype, the prototype wrestler, because I believe that's what he went by in OVW. He was called the prototype. That, that was his, his gimmick name before that he just decided to go with his real name. And he comes out he does this thing with Kurt Angle. And yeah, it could have gone one of two ways. If Cena gets fired, You'd never hear about this moment again. But since it all worked out and John Cena went on to be a top 10 of all time, WWE, they've like, they try to like convince you to think that, th- that they always had the- that plan for Cena, right? Like when hindsight now, they're like, oh, this is one of the greatest debuts ever. Look at this debut. Cena slapped Kurt Angle, the Olympic hero. But in reality, it was like, oh, it was a good segment. Like it, it, it didn't hit the same, like with, Jer- with Jericho, they tried to create a star. With Cena, it was like they didn't really do anything with him afterwards. It was like, oh, he has his match with Kurt Angle, and he wrestled Jericho, and then that was it. Then he was just hanging out and catering, just eating food, just chilling for about yeah, like, like three to four months. Like I don't think anyone can, you know, even WWE with the power of hindsight can say, oh well, from the moment Cena debuted, we knew he was going to be that guy for us. He was going to be the next star, the next Mount Rushmore. Superstar, like that, that wasn't the case, especially in early October 2002 when there were backstage discussions about him getting the sack. You know, like it, it it's just it's, that, it worked out. Back to what you said about the pecking order, it was like, yeah, Orton's gonna be a star, Brock's gonna be a star, Batista's gonna be a star. Oh, and then there's a Cena guy that looks like a bodybuilder, yeah, literally. And like, I mean, it's just that, that pecking order, dude. The fact that Randy Orton comes in, 
having no experience, you know, a terrible attitude. He's still about seen in the packing order because he's Norton, but yeah, nonetheless, nonetheless. So you get to 2002. I mean, I mentioned in my um, wife's seen the Never Left video, but Cena, he's about to get the axe, and then Stephanie McMahon hears him, I believe, on a tour bus doing like a rap battle with Rey Mysterio and Rikishi. And then she was like, all right, that's cool. And then that proceeded to become a gimmick for Cena. He got an opportunity. And unlike certain wrestlers, <laughs> Randy Orton, Cena actually took his opportunities and ran with them. Cena, <laughs> Kevin, became the uh, doctor of thugonomics there, John. So, so, Kevin, when you think about the doctor of thugonomics of retrospect, w- walk me through what that gimmick makes you feel. Oh, I mean, I, I feel joy. I-, I think of just being a kid and watching Cena and Eddie Guerrero wrestle or Cena, like, coming out there doing his rap battles with Big Show, Kurt Angle. And I just think about, like, those, like, he would come out in a pay-per-view. He would, like, open the pay-per-view and be, like, second or third on the card. And he'd be so over. He'd be doing his rhyme, and the crowd would cheer along with it. And it, like, every time, the rhyme was different. Every time. He had a different promo. And he, his swag, too. It was like, you look at John Cena, Dr. Thugonomics. That was the epitome of what pop culture and what swag was in 03 and 04. Like we talk about this on our on my 100 Reasons Why Raw Sucks video, everybody looks the same. John Cena in 03, he looked different than everybody else. He came out with you know if he was in Chicago, he come out with a Cubs jersey, or if he was in LA, he come out with a, with like a Lakers jersey. That was cool. He come out you know jean shorts, they were the thing back then. But just Cena was cool, man. Doctor Thugonomics was cool. Then I want to talk about him getting nearly getting fired too for a second again, because yeah. that's just crazy to think about like we have to spend at least like just like a, a minute or two on this because i know you made a whole video about it but yeah, yeah. like if cena got fired that legitimately would change wrestling forever like we would the last what the wrestling as we know the last 20 years of our lifetimes would be completely different who knows like who knows what rest like what, what would wrestlemania 28 look like if john cena got fired you know but would the rock have come back would there have been a wrestlemania 28 like what who knows it's just it's a fascinating what if god yeah that's crazy yeah i know like if, if cena never like god forbid i know it's not cena's dna but yeah cena gets fired and then he just he goes you know and becomes like a successful bodybuilder and just drops wrestling imagine that you got wrestlemania 28 main event by randy orton versus sheamus for the WWE title for the fifth straight time you know like that's horrifying that's terrible so yeah i mean thank god the timeline worked the way it did or else we would have had Randy Orton getting like a main event babyface push for like three years, you know, like, yeah, for Jesus. Real. Yeah, Randy Orton jumping out of cakes every single week. Uh, so yeah. what, what do you think about the Doctor of Thugonomics? That, for me, this was my favorite version of Cena. Now, whether you think this is the best version of Cena or not, that's up to you to decide. But for, what, what do you think about it? What are your overall thoughts? I think character wise, it's his best stuff. Um, I think, when you compare this to his, you know, rise above hate, never give up. I'm going to come out every week to open Raw, cutting a 15-minute Star Wars promo version of Cena. <laughs> I think Doctor Thugonomics is clearly, like, his best character work. Yeah. Uh, I think that my favorite part of this is that Cena's talked about in the interviews. The best thing about this was that he showed up to SmackDown, you know, early in the day. You know, he'd probably get there before most people, you know, on the, lock, on the locker room. He'd get there, and then he'd be literally told, you've got two minutes of promo time, write something, think of something. So he'd sit in the, you know, up in the stands by himself, writing out raps, promos. He's thinking, he's being innovative, creative. What would get over? What would get a reaction? What can, you know, 
be memorable, what could get you know, pops. And that got him thinking. There was some creative leverage there. How much that was Paul Heyman's, you know, doing, how much that was maybe Vince. Like, Cena had leverage. So in that regard, to answer the question, I thought it was brilliant. I think, I mean, you mentioned there, it was pop culture. It was in. He was wearing the different team's jerseys, every arena he was going into. That always helps if you're a baby face. And nowadays, no one really does stuff like that. It's just, I, I thought it was excellent. I really did. I think it made him a superstar. It really did. It took him from the prototype, just generic creator wrestler one, to this dude is super cool. He's going to do a funny rap, mentioning nuts and mentioning all this kind of stuff on this random hill on SmackDown. Like, it was bloody great. Absolutely. And then nowadays, like, like Ricochet shows up to the arena and Vince tells him, oh, you got two minutes, pal. Give me something. Ricochet takes 30 seconds and he's like, oh, I'll take Sheamus's hat and I'll take his, his scepter and I'll run away. And then he spends the other two and a half hours backstage, like, making TikToks, you know? Like, could, could you imagine in this era? Like, if, John, if 2003 John Cena was planted into this era, he'd be looking at all the people doing TikToks and he'd be like, like, why, why would I do that? Like, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to work on promos. You know, you know what I mean? Like he's just built different, just different DNA. God, yeah, yeah. Like you imagine, O three Cena walks backstage. Like O three Cena from a locker room where you've got the Undertaker and like young Brock Lesnar, who is at his like physical apex. Just about you got Kurt Angles, you got like Hulk Hogan's just casually walking backstage. You got the Rocks there. You've got all these like greatest of all time superstars, and there's such ambition there. There's a drive to be the top guy. There's a real drive to make money for the wrestling business. And then you take that guy and you have him shop in a locker room nowadays and he walks into the locker room. He sees Ricochet throwing it back with Reginald for a TikTok. He sees Nia Jax and Natalia braiding each other's hair. You see Ali and Sami Zayn playing Mortal Kombat. And he, like, 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 bro, what, what is this, bro? <laughs> what is this? But yeah, Kevin, just ridiculous. Absolutely. Then um, one of Cena's biggest moments, we had to spend a, a little bit talking about this, was WrestleMania 20. I would say that's really John Cena's coming out party. He's had, you know, he had some some minor moments there. You know, like that, like I mentioned, the rap battles, stuff like that. But really, WrestleMania 20 was Cena's coming to live party. And that was when, okay, you know, we're in the Madison Square Garden. You've got, you know, you got Austin on the card as special guest referee. You've got you know, Triple H, Benoit, you've got Brock Goldberg. And Cena gets the best reaction out of anybody the whole night. you got Eddie Kurt Angle. And Cena gets his big baby face reaction. Everybody's loving Cena. It's really a parallel. It's just weird. It's just odd to see, like, like especially in hindsight, when you go back and watch this moment where Cena's getting cheered. When you think all these years, like, Cena goes back to the garden in, like, 2015. He's getting booed out of the building. They're, they're singing John Cena sucks and all this. It's just weird to look at this WrestleMania 20 moment. What, what did you think about it? Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, yeah, you make a great point there as far as how it stood out to everyone else. And I was going to quickly mention, this. yeah, this wasn't Cena's first, like, big moment. Some people will be like, oh, well, he was in the WWE title match against Brock Lesnar in Backlash 2003. Yeah, okay. That was a bit of a test for him. That's always the Vince McMahon test of, let's see if you can hack it against the top guy. And Cena could at that Backlash match. So, you fast forward to this, WrestleMania 20, Madison Square Garden is just erupting for Cena. They're going crazy. By this point, Cena's cool. He's the new. He's fresh. On a WrestleMania, which it was the 20th anniversary of WrestleMania, is where it all begins again. That was the whole thing with WrestleMania. Back in the garden, you got all the biggest stars in wrestling history outside of Hulk Hogan on that show, pretty much. 
you know, Athlon, Randy Savage, but all the best ones from like the last decade, or the previous decade before Mania 20, Kevin, were there. And just Cena got the best reaction, you know, which is nuts. And I mean, I guess it helps with that, that you can't look back upon the main event and really talk about that. But yeah, just crazy reaction, crazy moment for Cena. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, the phys- like what happened in the moment, for those of you who don't know, is it was John Cena versus Big Show in the opening match of the, the card for the United States Championship. And John Cena does this really impressive AA on Big Show. Like, it was like a legitimate, like, oh my God moment. Now, we're so used to them now. They're the famous WrestleMania 25 moment that he did with Big Show and Edge. Just throughout the years, Cena's done just superhuman strength feats. But this was like, wow. You know, it, it, and it really forced people to pay attention to Cena. You could argue this is Big Show's biggest WrestleMania match, too. I mean, it's really like one of the only yeah. singles matches yeah. that Big Show had at WrestleMania. And that's all for John Cena. But I'll ask you this, too. What are some of your favorite word life segments? Are there any that stick out to you? Any of your favorite? Like, uh, I mean, the one with um, where he was uh, oh, spanking Stephanie Mann's work, right? I think that deserves a mention. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think I think you I mean, you're, you're best to talk about that. I mean, this whole era, I'm not gonna like lie now because I've I've watched every segment every week. I was loving it because I, w- I was barely alive at this point. So, Kevin, this is your area of expertise. Walk the great elite hate listeners through some of the best world life segments, especially Stephanie McMahon's work right now. Yeah, you mentioned that one with Stephanie McMahon's work rate. That was another moment where people really took notice of Cena. It's like. Anytime that a wrestler does something with a McMahon, whether it's Shane, Vince, Linda, or Stephanie, people are going to take note of it. And this one, you know, is no different. Cena and Stephanie, they're having a little confrontation. They get a little flirty. Stephanie's like, oh, you want to, you know, you want to spank me, whatever. Lifts up her skirt. Cena spanks her. And then it's like, wow, okay. Cena touches her. touches the old work rate, pal. Damn it. <laughs> it's just, it's one of those things that still... You can find this anywhere. It's still relevant. People just love this. It's one of the most meme-worthy moments in wrestling history. There's nothing like a young John Cena slapping Stephanie McMahon's backside and the way he reacted all giddy and whatnot. It was just... <laughs> it, it, it was a perfect segment. It was good. It, this is stuff that we don't see in wrestling anymore. And I think that is Vince McMahon's daughter. The woman that's, that's like the, the spearhead of the women's agenda... And, uh, you know, and we have to be no edges, everything flat, just PC down the line. To see Stephanie McMahon and John Cena engaged in this, it really feels like it happened in an alternate universe. It, 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 like, if you showed somebody that's never watched wrestling before, you, you sat them down, you showed them an episode of Raw from, like, 2020 pre-pandemic or, like, 2019 or 2018, you show them this where you have, like, Stephanie McMahon out there, like, singing Charlotte Flair's praises. And she's out there like yelling at Roman Reigns, slapping him to show her dominance. And Roman Reigns is just sitting there taking it. And then you show this, the same person has never seen wrestling before. You show them the clip of Cena spanking Stephanie McMahon. And you're like, and like what are they, how are they going to react? And you'd be like, no, that kid, that's not the same girl. Like, like, what, like, it just wouldn't make any sense, you know? Well, the thing I love about this is this is one of those clips which people could scroll through, see on their Instagram feed, and then. They'd know me as the wrestling guy, so they'd send me this going, oh, this is great. This is hilarious. This is funny. I love this. Like, this is one of, like, those segment clips, you know? Like, ones like that we don't really see nowadays. Like, no one is scrolling through Instagram, sees Ricochet stealing Seamus's hat and goes, oh, I, I know Jimmy's wrestling guy. I'll send that to him. Like, no one does that. No. Like, no one goes, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to actively look at 
Ricochet stealing a hat, and that's an epic moment. Like, no, Cena with Stephanie McMahon's work rate is a funny, memorable segment. This Kevin, this happened what eighteen years ago now, going on nineteen years, mm-hmm. and we're still reminiscing on it so fondly because it was genuinely hilarious and super entertaining. And goes to show you, I mean, that was super cool. That was over. No one finds Stephanie McMahon yelling at the audience about how great women's work rate is. No one finds that captivating and entertaining. No one's going to share that clip to all their friends and go, oh my God, this is funny. No one's going to do that. But you have John Cena's Stephanie McMahon's work rate. People are going to share that. They're going to find it funny. It's going to be clipped. It's just <laughs> big juxtaposition, Kevin. Big juxtaposition. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll spend another few minutes just talking, reminiscing again. Um, Cena and Eddie Guerrero, their rivalry on the undercard, like that really helped put both guys on the map. It showed one thing. It showed one thing about Eddie that Eddie could be the guy, that, the veteran that could carry a feud with a young upcoming guy. And it showed that Cena could hang with a veteran like Eddie, and it helped elevate both those guys. It was right before Eddie got his big push. Then, of course, Cena ascended and continued on his big push. There's the parking lot brawl, one of my favorite matches. Um, there's just, obviously, the, the rap battles with Kurt Angle and Big Show. Those are the most memorable, I would say, the most memorable Dr. Thugonomics segments. There's the one Bro, on- that, that Big Show rap battle, can we talk about that for a moment? Yes. That is hilarious. Big Show's out there, this 450-pound, <laughs> 7-foot man who's, like, 35. He's got, like, the he's got the um, bandana on. He's got, like, the, the size 6XL, like, jersey on. And, it, like, he's trying to – he's going, like, toe-to-toe. It was just – stuff like that's so just entertaining. And at the end of the day, that, that's what it's all about. It's being entertained. Stuff like that is just brilliant. I, I, I've watched that back, like, four different times. That's so funny. It's, like, yeah, it's, a, it's an all-time segment. The thing about – these Dr. Thugonomics segments with John Cena was there's not so many that are super memorable. Like he doesn't have like, like Austin beer truck moments or pushing Tyson. He doesn't have those kind of moments throughout this time. It was just, everything was very good, very consistent. Like you could find a compilation of Cena's raps and you can be very entertained. You know, just Cena was that good. There's the one where he's dressed up. Uh, I believe he's dressed up as vanilla ice on the SmackDown Halloween. He raps at Stephanie. Like that's just another one that people remember. That's great. That's great. I mean, just yeah, just generally. I mean, it helped us ascend to stardom, and really, that transitions us, Kevin. I think we're ready to move into O five now. You have the O five Rumble, where you've got Cena and Batista as the clear two next stars. Um, Batista wins the match after Vince McMahon <laughs> tears both cords, getting in the ring. Oh, oh damn it! Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> after Vince tears his quads, um, and then Vince on the ground screaming. Batista ends up winning just. And, yeah, I mean, from that moment on, Cena didn't win that match, Kevin, but you knew that was the guy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You knew that Cena and Batista were the two guys. It was, like, it was clear as day. Because then at WrestleMania 21, John Cena, he defeats JBL for the WWE Championship. Batista defeats Triple H for the World Championship in the main event. But nevertheless, you have John Cena, the champion of SmackDown, the top guy. And it was just, it was so evident there that John Cena was going to be the top guy. Like, Batista had it for a little bit, then he gets injured, they move him to SmackDown, but it was just, it was evident that Cena was the guy. It, it, you, you could see it from a mile away. He just, he was larger than life. He was a larger than life personality. You, you could maybe compare him to The Rock with his mic skills. He was just, he, and he had it all. He could have good matches, too. He could do everything. He could have good matches, good segments. He looked the part. 05 was the year of Cena, I would say. Well, yeah, Kevin, I mean, it starts off. God, the feud with John Bradshaw Layfield. This is just, I mean, this is some iconic content right here. I mean, this is the same JBL 
who I mean, Kevin, remind us <laughs> what was what was JBL doing in two thousand four, pal? Uh, you know, JBL's two thousand four. He was uh, let's see, he was reminding us that he's better than us because he he's in the stocks. He's a, an author. He's on Fox News. Um, he was beating up Eddie Guerrero. You know, he was kicking Mexicans out of the border. <laughs> no, no big deal. <laughs> He was hunting Mexicans like deer, stopping them from coming into the United States on an episode of SmackDown. Um, he's what? what hey, he's, he's, I'll say that real quickly for a moment. Wait, wait, let me, let me say this. Oh real, my God. Let, let me say this for two seconds. Yeah. He, he's yeah. hailing Hitler at house shows. Oh he's my giving God. Eddie Guerrero's mother a heart attack. He's just, he's doing everything under the sun. <laughs> he's just, I like, got a super heel run. Yeah, go ahead. Oh my God. I think nowadays wrestlers who get booed. In wrestling, it genuinely offended. Nonetheless, um, yeah, you're JBL doing that. And Kevin, just I want to really quickly just make this point. So, you're the demographic who, realistically, based on today's logic, you should have been so horrified by when JBL was doing these things with Mexican. You should have been so offended. You should have tried to cancel WWE. You should have tried to boycott them. Kevin, walk us through what a young you was thinking watching uh, JBL yelling at Mexicans at the border. A young me doesn't really remember this. <laughs> I don't really remember having any yeah. reaction to it. But I look back at it and I'm like, this is great. Like it's entertaining. <laughs> it's funny. It's it's comedic. Yes, it's you know, it's probably not in the best taste. Uh, yeah. but it's just it was funny. And it's it's fake, you know, but it people wrestling is just in such a weird bag where you can't do these things now. You just you, you can't Yeah, because yeah, you you do this stuff in wrestling and it's it's a it's a it's a true hate crime in real life. It's like, anyway, moving on. So yeah, JBL's evil scene. WrestleMania twenty one. I remember the build to this. You got Cena like pouring water in JBL's hat and putting it on him. JBL yeah. gets all angry and gets embarrassed and Cena spray paints JBL's several hundred thousand dollar car and just great build. And then Kevin, this was the coronation pal. Yeah, this is the coronation of John Cena. I remember he wrote on JBL's limo, spray painted it like NWO style. But yeah, this I mean this was it. WrestleMania twenty one. Everybody knew Cena was going to win. JBL was kind of a fluky champion. It was like one of he's one of the most unlikely champions of all time, just from what you consider what he was before. But yeah, so you have Cena. I mean, like I said, he became the guy. He was on SmackDown for a short time, then he gets moved to Raw. Almost immediately after that, in 05, and it became clear that Cena was the franchise. He was the number one guy. Well, what did you think about him being moved to Raw? Hmm. I, I, I don't really know. Like, I, I, I kind of like it. I think the moment where he did move, I mean, yeah, he made his shocking, like, Raw debut, and Jericho was in the ring being like, oh my. That segment was good. I think. He had a better... I think on Raw, he was more suited. Um, I really do. I think Batista was better off on SmackDown in hindsight. Being the cool world champion, he wouldn't have to speak as much. Because Raw was the entertainment show at the end of the day. And Cena, out of Batista and Cena, Cena was the better, like, you know, sports entertainer as far as the promos and the segments. So I think in that regard, it worked out well and was better off in the long run. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's well stated. Raw is the entertainment show. Raw is the Raw, at that point. Raw was the flagship show. Raw was the entertainment show, and it just it made all the sense in the world to have him there. Uh, I I thought like he he goes to Raw. He's doing some good stuff. The feud with Jericho was okay. Then it gets kind of spotty there. I don't remember much of what he did going in into late 05. 
Well, Lotto five, Lotto five. You've got. I mean, he has the stuff with Jericho for SummerSlam. Jericho by that point was like burnt out with wrestling. He wanted to take a break, so he puts Cena over a couple of times. He did the like loser of Jericho loses, he leaves town match, and yeah, Jericho getting escorted out, kicking and screaming as Bischoff fired him. Um, I remember you have like you have Cena having a match with Kurt Angle or general kind of feud with Kurt Angle at that point. Um, Jericho had a match. No, Cena had a match with I think. I forget who, but yeah, it was just Angle and Jericho mainly at that time. Um, yeah, so yeah, so he's feuding with Angle, and then you look at 06, then it gets really is when 06 is like... Here we go. Yeah, Here we go. This is the point where we have to talk about it. I don't even know how to attack this. You look at it, you look at 06, Cena's undoubtedly the top guy. But then things start to change a little bit. Edge cashes in, beats him for the title at Revolution. That Cena's given the belt immediately, just given right back to him three weeks later at the Royal Rumble in 06. And people are like, oh, okay. All right, this is what's going to happen now. Cena's never going to win, or he's never going to lose. He's always going to win. And a vocal minority becomes very, very angry at John Cena. And it's like you've got this cool attitude ever wrestler in Triple H that they're feuding now going into WrestleMania 22. And Triple H is buying into it. You know, he's saying, oh, you see, you can't wrestle. Well, you're goofball. You're this, you're that. I'm the cool guy. And it's Triple H. Everybody loves Triple H. Even though, even if they don't want to admit do it. They, do they, though, really, really, Kevin? The same guy who's being booed out of the building for several years, cutting 25-minute opening segment promos on Raw every week. That guy? Yeah, every, wrestling, love- every wrestling fan loves him deep down. Everyone does. I, I'm convinced. What, what, it's just, in 06, you think about it. Think about it in 06. You look at Triple H who's coming off of the, the the Attitude Era as part of DX. It was just a different time. Maybe now opinions have changed, but at yeah. that point, everybody yeah. loved Triple H. And we get to WrestleMania 22, and Cena is... Uh, where were they at? Chicago? Detroit? They're in Chicago, yeah. They're in Chicago. Obviously, Cena's entrance has the um the Chicago gang you know mob theme with Punk on the side of the car. Just Kevin, Mania in Chicago, that's probably the worst possible spot for WrestleMania in hindsight. <laughs> You know, like you got a smart, you got a smart town, and then yeah, they're, they're booing Cena all night. You can't wrestle, like you know, yeah, it's like Cena sucks. Like it was just, it, it was weird, you know, because that crowd, that, that that's the crowd who really set the tone for the next really eight and a half years, nine years until 2015. That just became narrative. Cena can't wrestle. Cena's one dimensional. Cena's are just a bland cookie cutter baby face we want something fresh even though triple h has been shoved down our throats for several years holding the big gold belt for near enough three straight years we want triple h to win like kevin just you're ridiculous bro oh yeah like i, I watched it back like when i was a kid i watched this is wrestlemania 22 is one of my favorite WrestleManias. i remember watching this vividly uh, my myself personally i wasn't a big john cena uh, guy growing up i wanted triple h to win and that, that was just because i genuinely like triple h like i love I just love Triple H growing up. I don't know what it was about him. I, yeah. I probably shouldn't have liked Triple H considering all the content he did in the Attitude Era and the Ruthless Aggression oh. Era, like uh, hanging out, you know, the Katie Vick stuff, but I digress. Some, <laughs> somehow a young me throughout all those odd segments was a fan of Triple H. And I, I remember, but I wasn't like, oh my God, I hate Cena for winning. Like, I didn't really care. It's like, it's wrestling. Okay, whatever. But some people got so upset, so angry. It, it was like, it became cool to buy a ticket, and like you said, Chicago set the tone. It became cool to buy a ticket, drive to an arena, just 
not care about anything else on the show. Just whatever John Cena is out there to boo. To make sure that everyone watching at home knew that you hated John Cena. And it was like, may, like Cena, the backlash wasn't there yet all the way until WrestleMania 22 on the grand stage. You got millions of people watching. This is a pilot, you know, WrestleMania. It's a show of shows. People are watching this. And they're like, oh, I hate John Cena too. I want to boo him. I want to do that. That That's cool. WWE, Vince McMahon, they want us to cheer him because they want him to be the babyface. But I don't want that. I want to boo him. And it was like, like you said, the biggest possible stage. And then, like, the idea is planted. Then, yeah. yeah I don't even know. It just, then it yeah, just... and then, like, yeah. Okay, once the idea is planted by these, you know, angry, you know, Attitude Era fans from Chicago, once the idea is planted from them in the minds of all the fans, then when you go to, like, God knows, I mean, you pick, you go to Davenport, Iowa, and you do an episode of Raw there, then the crowd's going to go, oh, I saw a WrestleMania in Chicago, they booed in. That looked pretty fun. I'm going to boo Cena as well. And that, that became the thing. And right. really, that, that was a case for the best part of the next eight years. It was just crowd after crowd. You'd have your audience who enjoyed Cena, you know, kids, families, you know, some young adults, some adult males, they'd really enjoy Cena. And then you have the crowd, you know, you can't wrestle, Cena sucks, et cetera, et cetera. We, we want something else, we want something fresh. And really, what I want to talk about now um, well, I, mean, I guess first we need to touch on One Night Stand 06. I think that we have to talk about that. The fact that that was the peak example of psychotic nutcase ECW fans. These just, you know, these New Yorkers who are just off their nut, who love violent, diehard shoot wrestling, booing Cena. And I legitimately thought someone would jump the guardrail and assault him. Like, it was crazy, you know? Yeah, looking back at it in hindsight, I'll ask you this question. Did WWE make the right move by having John Cena like headline this card? Like, yes, I know he headlined against RVD, who is ECW. Like, you think ECW, you think RVD. He is the franchise. He made ECW. Put it on the map. But still, even that, people are gonna hate John Cena, and it, it's not a good look when you have a national pay per view. And like the whole idea of ECW on top of that is national pay per view. But the whole idea of ECW is that it's different than WWE. You take the guy that is WWE, true and told, and everything in between, he is WWE. You put him in there in that environment, probably wasn't the best move in hindsight, right? No, it, it, I mean, we talk about Mania in Chicago set the tone and made you know fans, especially the adult male audience, think it was just, that was the cool thing to do, just boo Cena, because he's not what we want. It took that idea and took it to the nth degree. Because you go from that way, yeah, there was... A you know, majority in Chicago who are like, yeah, well, boo Cena, it's cool, you know, whatever. Then you go to One Night Stand in front of a couple thousand nutcases, and then, you know, if Cena wins, we riot, boo. Like, Cena would throw a shirt in, into the crowd, they throw it back, they have him about four different times. You've got the crowd just relishing and just hating Cena. Some of the and most vulgar so- chants you'll ever hear, too, from a crowd were directed at Cena that night. Kevin. Do you think any wrestler nowadays could step into what Cena did in that on that night and actually survive? Like they'd have genuine like, severe mental health issues after doing that. No, I, 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 I'm out of it. Nobody could. Like the, the top guy, Roman Reigns, couldn't. I, I think the only guy that could that could do it. I, I can say this with confidence would be Drew McIntyre. McIntyre would look yeah. at it and be like, "Okay, you guys want to hate me?" And he would go with it and have fun with it. He's probably like that's probably that's the only name that comes to mind. Like even Randy Orton would get flustered. Randy Orton would be like, ah, fuck this. I don't want to do this anymore. 
flip the bird, walk out the ring, go piss in some woman's <laughs> bag backstage. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remember, I mean, Orton competed in that show at um, One yeah, I Stand 06. It was a match with Angle, didn't he? And it was, it was like, it was like a 30 minute terrible match. The crowd was just booing the whole thing. No one wanted to say it because it's ACW One Night Stand. You've got Angle versus Orton, but Anyway, yeah, so yeah, Kurt, I mean, Kurt, Kurt Angle talked about that match on his podcast recently. I listened to it, and he said what I just said. Orton was flustered. Orton didn't want to do the match. He wanted to walk out. <laughs> yeah, it's just bruh. And then to think, I mean, like, think of that nowadays. Imagine Seth Rollins goes into that environment. You've got five thousand, how many people in the Hammerstein Ballroom? Crazy psychotic fans, you know, chanting "F you, Rollins," you know, "Go away," you know, "You suck," just like you know, generally vile chants. And then you're saying, like, booing you the whole time. Rollins would delete his Twitter and then make a cryptic Instagram story post and deactivate from social media for a month. Yeah. And that's what most wrestlers would do because it was just that much. But Cena, like the, the champion he is, like the resilient individual he is, puts a brave face on, goes out for 30-odd minutes, has a 20-minute match with RVD, deals with the crowd beforehand and after the match, gets out of the arena alive, lives to tell the tale. And in my opinion, his star grew a bunch from that. Yeah, he lost the match and he was booed exponentially. But the fact that he did that, I respect immensely. Yeah, and he put over RVD. Let's not forget about that, too. People say Cena didn't put yeah. people over. He put over RVD. It was like a lifetime mid-carder in WWE up until this point. And they, the WWE just strapped the rocket to RVD and RVD fumbled that. that that's a, a podcast for another day. Yeah. But he put over RVD and it became like, yeah, the you can't wrestle thing. And it's like, but Cena and RVD, they killed it. They had a good match. Like, what more could you want? They had a good in-ring work rate match like you go back and watch that match that stands the test of time that's a match that you could see happening in 2021 i i hate that whole seeing the car wrestle thing i really do because yeah that was that was the cool narrative he only does five moves all he does is his like his quote-unquote hulk up at the end or he does his you know, five moves of doom and to that i say every time WWE has a guy whose position is the top guy that like that that's how it goes in 2014, when, you know, in 2013, 14, when Daniel Bryan was positioned as that guy, he'd be literally the exact same, beating up the whole match and do a flurry with, you know, some kicks, you know, the roundhouse yes kicks, running knee, and he'd do about five moves as well. But just because the audience knows that Cena doesn't know thousands of fake submission moves, he can't wrestle. Ignore the fact that he has this great match with RVD. He's had great matches with, I mean, you take your pick. Edge, Shawn Michaels, Angle, you name them. list goes on and on and on. Seems like great matches all in, but I know that he doesn't know as many fake moves as guys like Kurt Angle. Therefore, boo. He can't wrestle. I'm going to boo him out of the building. Yeah. It's like, I don't, I don't love that mentality. Uh, yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, I don't like it either. We'll talk about that later on, though, in the second podcast. It's but... real. Uh, so from this one night stand 06, then he moves into a program with Edge that lasted like pretty much the rest of 2006, just about. I mean, I, I think you could argue that this is Cena's best rivalry. I think Edge is Cena's best opponent, maybe not in ring, but his best like opponent for storytelling and from like character development, all that standpoint. So we got some great segments out of this. I mean, we got Edge slapping Cena's dad. Like, like That's just, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. You got Cena losing the belt in his hometown and then beating Edge in Edge's hometown. Just some great iconic matches, iconic moments that came from this 06 rivalry with Edge. And w- would you say this is Cena's best rivalry or where do you think it ranks amongst his best? 
Oh, good question. Um, I'd say it's his best. I think if you've watched the WB Untold on Edge and Cena, particularly, they, I mean, they really focus in on that match that they had Unforgiven, but like that Untold really told this story brilliantly. It was like 40 minutes. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Go check it out. It's genuinely worth a look. Yeah. It's on the WWE Network's best you know, specials. Like You got Edge talking about how he was fully cognizant of the fact that Cena was this generation's Hogan. He was going to be pushed as such. And Edge wanted him to be the best possible heel foil for that. Edge was going to do everything he could to get booed, get negative reactions, make the crowd cheer when Cena punches him. Like, like Edge got in the business. He understood his goal is to get booed. He's going to do everything he can to get booed, get a negative reaction, so the baby face gets a positive reaction. Wow. What a concept, Kevin. So, can yeah, I, Edge... Can I, can yeah. I say this real quick while we're on this? Yeah. So, th- this is the difference with Edge and Punk. People compare it because people say, oh, those are Cena's best rivalries, best opponents. I fully agree. Edge had the mindset of, like, yeah, Cena is Cena's above me. And I'm going to latch to that guy, and I'm going to make a living off of being that guy's opponent, be that guy's punching bag. Where Punk wanted to be better than Cena, and that's okay. I, I credit the ambition. But I think Edge was smart enough to realize, like, look, I can make a lot of money being next to this guy. Exactly. Like, Edge had the nous, you know? It wasn't as selfish, I guess. And then, yeah, when it comes to Edge, I mean, that rivalry, I mean, the, the stuff with Edge visiting Cena's hometown, it's like, the way they talk, talk about that on the WB Untold, we've got Cena's dad, like, confronting Edge in the house or whatever, and Cena's dad is, like, reading and performing lines as though it's, it's like a Shakespeare play. And then Vince read it, or like Vince heard it when the footage got back to um, Connecticut or wherever they were for Raw. And Vince is like, oh, this is terrible. It's terrible. Damn it. Scrap it. Scrap. No, no. Cut the audio. Cut the edge. Edge, you, 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 you voice over this in the radio. Terrible. Like Vince was pissed. Like, oh. that thing was awful. And then Edge had to voice over it in the ring. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> God, Jeez. just awful. Like, like imagine, imagine Vince. Like this is 06 Vince, a guy who's having matches with God. He's saying the N word at the news. Like this is Vince at his all time worst. And you can even turn this footage of Edge and Edge later beating up Cena's dad, and Cena's dad's like performing lines as though it's a 17th century Shakespearean monologue. And then Edge, like Edge, slaps him, and then Vince gets the footage two hours later. And he's like, I raid, he's pissed. Oh, damn it. Oh, get this off my top. Damn it. Edge. Vince over this in the ring. This is crap. This is crap, damn it. Like, so with that being said, thank you for, thank you there, Vince. I appreciate that, Aussie Vince. With that being said, we'll talk about Cena's 07. So we go into WrestleMania 23, and it was supposed to be Cena, Triple H. Triple H gets hurt. We're going to get part two of that for whatever reason. I don't know why, but anyway. Yeah, so then we yeah. get, I think, probably the better match in hindsight. I think most people would agree, the better option. We get Cena versus Shawn Michaels. And again, we're in Detroit. We get an iconic Cena entrance, him driving the Mustang into the arena. Just absolutely iconic. If you haven't seen this entrance, go back and find it. Again, you get Shawn Michaels being cheered. You get Cena being booed. You get the You Can't Wrestle chance. You get the, you know, let's go Cena. Cena sucks. Even though Cena's getting booed and Shawn is getting cheered, it was still evident that people didn't really care of the outcome. They just didn't want... They wanted anything but the belt to be on Cena. And that's when you know you got him. Like, this was the this was the assurance when they put Cena in the main event again at WrestleMania 23, back-to-back WrestleMania main events. This was the assurance that Cena was going to be the top guy for the next decade. And because you have, like, like I said, 
People just wanted Cena to lose. They didn't care if it was Shawn Michaels. They didn't care if it was Triple H. They didn't care if it was Booker T. They didn't care if it was Jerry Lawler. Hell, if it was Michael Cole, they didn't care. They wanted Cena to lose. And again, another good match in ring. Cena, Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 23. It was a good match. Cena still gets the UK at Wrestle Chance for whatever reason. I'll never understand it. Yes, I mean, there was that. You know, Mania 23, awesome show. I mean, the, the matchups they did at that show were sick. I mean, Batista, Taker, brilliant world title match. And yeah, Cena, Michaels, the WWE title. Excellent show. Really good WrestleMania. And a time period in 07 where th- this wasn't the Benoit thing yet. This wasn't really the, like, the steroid, not scandal, but, like, the suspensions and the wellness policy violation. That wasn't just yet. But 07 turned into a challenging time. This early 07 period... I mean, Undertaker winning the Rumble was cool, but just generally the product was like, all right, you know, like it'd been kind of being on a little bit of a downtick since I'd say 05. Personally speaking, that's what I think. You know, obviously people say 06 is great because of Cena and Edge and whatnot, but yeah, the product isn't in the best state, in my opinion, at least. And then you get this, Cena's awesome. You know, they have the great match with Michaels. And then you fast forward, what was it? Wait, three wait, weeks. Wait, hold on. I got to push back. I got to push back. WrestleMania 23, early 07. This is one of the hottest time periods of wrestling history. You reckon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you okay. got you got Trump. You got Trump and Vince. That's just hilarious. That's yeah. hilarious. Like the battle of the billionaires. Everybody was talking about this. Everybody. I remember this like it was yesterday. Literally, like little kids I, at lunch would be like, in, I was like sixth grade. We're talking about Donald Trump on WWE at, at the lunch table at recess. Like it was, yeah. Oh seven was big time, man. I'll I'll defend I'll defend my take by saying the main reason I'm by that is I reminisce on oh six as. As I mentioned, the year Vince McMahon was beating God. You got DX dropping filth on the Spirit Squad. You got Vince McMahon using the N word. Like, I tend to focus on kind of more of the negative of those six and seeing him getting booed most of the year. So that kind of, I guess, influences how I see the time period. That makes sense. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll admit defeat on that take and then move on to the next one. Cena and Michaels on Raw in April of 07, Kevin. Hey, I, 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 I need to say something real quick before we get destroyed. The first half of 07 was great. Obviously, 2007 is overall the darkest year in wrestling history, but the first half of 07 was really good. Yeah, definitely. And then the second half hidden was hell. But anyway, um, yeah, Cena and Michaels on Raw. Um, this better than their Mania match, I'd say. And yeah, I mean, this was the crowd hating Cena more. This is the UK fans. Obviously, mm-hmm. the crowd would watch every PWG show. The crowd would watch Brian Danielson's entrances to Final Countdown at... ROH <laughs> Gorillas of Destiny 2006. Like the crowd have seen all these great in ring clashes oh, and. Slander. Oh, God, dude. Like, <laughs> right, these, these people have seen everything. So you see Cena, a legitimate like star, coming out there having a, a match. And of course, you're going to boo him, despite the fact this is an incredible hour long Iron Man match. It wasn't even an Iron Man match, it was an hour long match. Just forget that. It was just boo, boo. Cena sucks. You can't wrestle. Just like. Bruh, yes, fam. Really fam, like bruh. Yes, bruh. sir. And then um, to, in order to save your blood pressure, we'll fast forward to late 07, where Cena tears his peck, famously. And it's like, oh, Cena's going to be out seven and nine months. Everybody rejoices on the internet. All the people that hate John Cena, they're rejoicing. Little kids are crying because Cena's out. But we'll focus on the, the smart crowd. They're like, oh, my God, we're going to have a WrestleMania without Cena. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then what happens? The Royal Rumble 2008? Do, 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 what? Wait a minute. Like, just. Can I, can I, let me talk about this one uh, from, yeah. from personal experience. So, mm-hmm. 
I was young at the time, so I couldn't stay up late to watch the rest of the pay-per-view. I, my, my parents ordered Royal Rumble for me because I always got Royal Rumble every year. And I'm I'm sitting I had to go to bed before the Royal Rumble match starts. I'm like, I was oh. like So I don't I don't know what happened. I avoided all spoilers. I purposely did not go on my phone. I didn't go on my computer at all because I did not want to see any spoilers. I I get home from school. I'm walking inside. I see my neighbor. And my neighbor shouts at me, Hey Kevin, John Cena won the Royal Rumble. <laughs> and I was like, Are you kidding me, bro? Like, are you kidding me? And he's like, he's like dancing, like like doing the you can't see me, John Cena won. And I'm just like, bruh, really? Like I avoided spoilers all day for this. And I'm about yeah. to get home and watch it. And you ruin it like ten seconds before I get in my house. Like that's real. Oh, it was so upsetting. I, but I was shocked. I was like, what John Cena won the Royal Rumble? What do you mean John Cena won? Like I didn't really believe him either. I was like, what do you mean John Cena won the Royal Rumble? John Cena hasn't been around in like months. He's hurt. He's not gonna be he's gonna be out for a whole year. Then I go watch it and then iconic moment. Just Cena's return, Wrestle uh, Royal Rumble 2008, uh, number 30. The music hits. The Madison Square Garden crowd, they cheered for a second. They forgot they were supposed to boom, and then they remembered, oh, wait, we're supposed to boom. We're supposed to be cool. So it's a pretty fascinating moment to go back and watch. Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I was going to quickly focus on that. Um, I mean, this is the torn pack injury. Like, just to give some context with that one, that one's the, the time frame is usually it's six months at absolute best for recovery and upwards of a year. Um, for a torn pec, it's a pretty gross injury. I mean, yeah, yo, your pec muscle just, I mean, yeah, it tears like gross injury. But Cena comes back, so he injures it at the very beginning of October '07, and he's back mid to late January, so three and a half months Crazy. for an injury that some people take a year to heal from. And even then, if maybe you're a bit older, that can take over a year. You know, like absolutely incredible. Like that, that that's one of those like recoveries which it's just like this, this guy's different. You know, just that is unbelievable. Three and a half months for an injury that is at best for any normal person six months. Like, that's ridiculous. Right. Ridiculous, bro. Well, that is ridiculous, bro. But yeah, so Cena wins the Rumble. He, he has that face off with your boy, Triple H, and um, eventually gets the win. And Kevin, walk us through this. You've got a, a big time WrestleMania 24 match with Triple <laughs> H, Cena, and another one of your boys, Randy Orton. Walk, walk us through that one. Oh, I was in the building for this, as most of you already know. I was in the building for this WrestleMania 24 match. I thought, it, in at the time, especially, and in hindsight, I thought it was a waste of Cena's return. Like, yeah, Cena had this epic return. He comes back in three months from a, a really serious injury, and you put him in a triple threat match on the undercard of WrestleMania. Like, if there was ever a time to have John Cena and Randy Orton one-on-one be a main event marquee WrestleMania match, 2008 was the time. And they didn't pull the trigger. Like, for some reason, you got Triple H in there. You got him shoehorned. I, I, th- this match just doesn't fit. Like, you look at WrestleMania 24. You got, what, Floyd Mayweather, Big Show, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, Flair's last match. A great Money in the Bank match where your boy Punk wins. Main event. Edge and Tiger. Yeah, main event, yeah. Undertaker, Edge. And then you, it's just somewhere on the undercard. It's just, oh, wait, there's a triple threat match between three of the biggest stars in this era, Cena, Triple H, and Orton. And nobody remembers it. Nobody talks about it. Like, it, uh, like I said, a waste of Cena's return. Yeah, legit. It's, it's always the body Randy Orton. Like, Randy Orton's done this. People <laughs> actually talk about it. Like, you've seen a Triple H, like the Master should have done a year before, at WrestleMania 24. People are talking about that, but you throw body Randy Orton in there, no one cares. <laughs> There's been the wellness policy 
debacle already. He's been, you know, taking dumps in people's bags. He's a backstage menace, you know, like, you know, abusing writers allegedly. Um, and it's just, it's an absolute mess. So you have this, um, Cena loses, I believe, on one with the punt, didn't you? So, oh my God. yeah, um, yeah, your favorite wrestler one pal. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I was cheering for Triple H in the audience that night. <laughs> wow. I, mean, I was a menace, I guess. Uh, I was the, I was the cool kid that loved the attitude era guy. Um, yeah. That's... Very odd. This is a very odd choice to have this match. I'll just, I'll never understand it. Like why? Um, yeah. So then I guess we'll transition to the PG era. Unless there's anything else you want to say about 08? Um, not, not really. I mean, I guess it's fair to uh, move on to uh, the uh, Pai era there, John. Yeah. Uh, so I would say late 08, early 09, John C. Oh, I'm sorry. WWE begins the initiative to go PG. All their programming is going to be PG. No more TV 14. Family friendly, kid friendly shows. And John Cena, rightfully so, is made the face of this. And wrestling changed forever after this. We're still feeling the ripple effects of this move from TV 14 to PG. We got Linda McMahon going to Congress in America. Just really an interesting time. You got post Benoit tragedy. You got steroid allegations. You got like Randy Orton, Edge, just a bunch of big names coming up and steroid allegations. Really an interesting time. And then, you know, the, the stigma of a wrestler, people looking at wrestlers like, oh, they're meatheads that kill their wives and kids. So what did Vince do? And I, I mean, I don't blame him. A lot of people blame WWE for doing this, but they make Cena this ever loving guy that dances with women that have cancer and hugs babies and has rise above hate towels, does motivational speeches every week. That's really what Cena became. He became like Tony Robbins on screen every single week on Raw. He just became an inspiration for children and, and families. And it was the right call. Absolutely. After everything that happened in 07 and 08, WWE had to do it. Well, really what I want to stick on with this is that there was no one else right. at this time. You know, Jeff Hardy was popular, for sure. But considering his kind of past and everything that ended up happening with him, that was not the option to go with as far as, like, the, the long-term top guy who's he's the Tony Robbins. Like, that's not what Jeff Hardy is. Jeff Hardy's a guy who's going to get people, you know, to react because he's just a cool guy who'll stick to himself. Jeff Hardy wasn't that guy. Cena was that poster child. Like, I remember watching the um, the interview with... Uh, Larry King uh, after Benoit uh, tragedy was that they, they, Vince chose Jericho and Cena to represent WWE as far as you know taking the brunt of the Benoit thing and you know being the faces of you know we're, we're not about this we're about you know we're about you know being positive and all that kind of stuff. And Cena was brilliant. He handled the interview brilliantly. Larry King was throwing some pretty sly kind of comments in there, some snarky remarks about wrestling. Cena and Jericho handled brilliant handled brilliantly. And I mean, that really showed, I guess, Vince's trust in Cena. Cena could be that, I guess, face for wrestling, even through that kind of challenging period through late 07, 08 into 09. Like, Cena was that guy. So in reality, he was made to do it. Like, got, Kevin, can you picture anyone else being in that role? Like, like who else around this time period who the internet were desperate to see could have possibly been like that face? Like, what you want to see Ted DiBiase Jr. being the face of the company? Like, oh, Cody stuff. Rhodes, pal. <laughs> yeah, dashing dashing Cody Rhodes is going on Larry King interviews defending WWE post Benoit. Like, get out of here, dude! Just uh, horrendous, bro. Yeah. Horrendous. You wanted Dolph Ziggler being like, hey, "Guys, 
Yeah, that's Rollins. I, I can't do this. Pull yeah, this just... off. Pull this off. <laughs> As in Ziggler yelling at Larry King to pull it this off. It have been me. Don't, please don't use that in the context of Benoit, please. Um, yeah, no, nah, nonetheless. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, um, yeah, nonetheless. Cena was, Cena was the poster child. He was the face. And really, Kevin, I don't know anyone else just in wrestling who could have done that at that time. Yeah, I mean, well, you can have Randy Orton, the, the guy that doesn't like taking pictures with fans, just ask fans for cigarettes, stares at women's boobs. Like, you could have that guy as the face of the can we, we do a quick skit? Can we do a quick little skit? You be Larry King pressing, you know, pressing me about the Benoit situation, WWE being horrible, and only Randy Orton. Okay. okay. All right. So, Randy, are all wrestlers on steroids? Randy, are you on steroids? Uh, do, do you think that you could ever see yourself going into a roid rage and maybe harming yourself or, God forbid, some, one of your loved ones? Larry, I took a dump in a rider's <laughs> bag. Okay, don't <laughs> you dare question my WWE or my colleagues. I would never, ever go into a roid rage. And then you'd probably, you know, if you're Larry King, say something like, well, what about your wellness policy place of that's randy you know like oh just, my god uh, and randy on's like larry i'm gonna rko you on this table and you'll be out cold oh, from there i will punt kick you and then i will take a dump in your personal assistant's bag like, like bro, bro, what is this bro like anyway anyway Jesus. oh okay Did- Transition, I guess we'll keep on the Orton thing. Um, 08, 09, I had stopped watching wrestling by this point. I was what? in and out. Why? Because of the Why? infamous John Cena and Randy Orton feud. Now, this yeah. is a very specific feud that if you were like five years old when this feud happened, this is like your favorite wrestling feud ever. You just, you love everything about it. But if you're like eight years old and up and you watch this Cena Orton feud play out every single week, you just hate, you hate it. It's just, it's just one of those things. It is what it is. But, but Kevin, you had Superman John Cena against Naked Randy three years. Yeah, like, you, you got, got my favorite version of Randy Orton, my penis Randy Naked Orton. Orton. <laughs> I mean, he, he's out there looking like a penis just with a bald head. <laughs> God, he had the legacy beside him. You have Cody Rhodes with no knee pads, all oiled up. You know, Ted DiBiase. Horrible. Just awful. Oh my god. Awful. Like, yeah, did you have like the like the famous match they had? Uh the three stages of hell match, I believe it was. Someone will correct me and point in um, I'll, I'll, look, I'll look so we don't get three comments being like, well actually, Kevin, it was the blah blah blah. But yeah, go on, talk about the match. Well there there was a match I remember specifically where Cena's handcuffed to the turnbuckle. You've got like penis Orton just with fumes coming out of his ears, looking like the devil. He's got the kendo stick, and it's just like a PG hardcore match. Like when I think PG wrestling, this is the match I think of. You got Penis Orton with a with a stick in his hand, whipping Cena violently with his stick in the chest and stomach, and Cena's just taking it, and he's all red. And I'm just like, yeah, this is, like, yeah, this is not entertaining. I'm sorry, uh, I'm sorry to everyone that I offended that was like five years old when this match happened, but I just didn't like it. Was it for me? Yeah, I, yeah, because I mean that that the sixty minute anything goes Iron Man match at um bragging rights, and before that you got the Hell in a Cell match at Hell in a Cell about two weeks prior. You had their match, at, the I Quit match at Breaking Point. You had their match at SummerSlam. 
Like this thing just went on and on and just Cena goes Orton. Oh, Cena wins. Now Orton wins. Now Cena wins. Now Orton just we get they're trying to get their title reign numbers up. We get it. Okay, you can you can be less obvious about it. Like we don't need to see naked Orton with oiled up Cody Rhodes hitting Cena with a kendo stick. Cena is like screaming and you know look trying to look all jacked for photo ops. Like it was just just Kevin. I mean, not not good. I mean, this drive away a lot of fans. Um, it did make some fans. I guess some little kids grew up going, "Oh my god, Cena and Orton! Oh my god, guys!" But on the whole, it was just like, bruh, you know, this is Cena and Orton every pay per view for nine years. Like, bruh. Yeah, they wrestled so many times within the span of like 2007 to 2014. The amount of times that John Cena and Randy Orton wrestled, it's gotta be like, they have to have at least like top five for you talk about opponents that have had the most matches together. Singular opponents that have wrestled the most times. Like, like Cena Orton. Um, when it comes to Cena and Orton, this is supposedly the I guess in WWE's eyes, the big, I guess, rivalry of the era. You know, this is the PG era's two top guys, supposedly. And they never had a one-on-one match at WrestleMania. Like, there was, obviously, there was, there was triple threat, which they're both involved in, which no one talks about. But they never had a one-on-one match at WrestleMania. Yeah, despite the fact that they've like 600 times. Right, that's a joke of it. They were good enough to headline B pay-per-views. They headlined a SummerSlam or two. And, you know, they headlined, what, Royal Rumble one year? And then it's like, well, yeah. never did Cena or in at WrestleMania. I wonder why. You always had Triple H or Shawn Michaels or you know, you had Edge in there. Like somebody else was always in there. They never did Cena Edge one on one. And that's kind of a shame too. They I didn't seen a Miz at WrestleMania, but not Cena Orton. Right. Or like Cena Edge. Is... Oh my god. Ridiculous. Because you know that at WrestleMania twenty seven, just to, I guess fulfill this narrative, do Cena Orton in the main event of and that way when Rock attacks Cena, no one's gonna care because who cares about Randy Orton? You could have done that. Or you could have done, and then on the undercard, CM Punk beating up the Miz in a shoot fight. Like, I don't know. You've got the Nexus. I'll, I'll just do the um the little uh I guess you know rundown for this. So by this point, you, you roll into 2010. Cena's been objectively the top guy, really at this point for about five years, five and a tick years. So you roll in. You have NXT's big crop of talent. You got Wade Barrett. You got big stars like Brian Danielson. Big stars like Michael Tarver. Big stars like. Justin Gabriel, big stars like um, Wendy's Heath Slater, big stars like Skip Sheffield, they all beat up John Cena to close an episode of Raw, Kevin, and legit, this whole Nexus angle, like, personally, obviously, you'll get your thoughts in a moment, but, like, you've got these guys all punching Cena. Wade Barrett was the clear star of the group. He was the guy who was most likely to have success in WWE, just if you looked at them just generally. And then you could tell Skip Sheffield would get a push. But then they feud with Cena, Kevin. And it's like, oh, you know, you've got Cena punching Wade Barrett at five straight pay-per-views. You've got the seven-on-seven match of SummerSlam, Kevin, which this one's caused just a ton of conjecture about. Did Cena bury the Nexus? Was, was this Cena's biggest burial ever? Cena didn't put over the future of the company? And I'm like, well, this was, this was your future? This? The, the, this Nexus, Wade Barrett, yeah, he, Barrett's cool, but what about the rest of them? Cena didn't put over Justin Gabriel at SummerSlam, F him, you know? Like, Kevin, I mean, what do you think of the Nexus? Like, personally, I thought it was good, obviously a bit messy with the writing, but just generally, yeah. I mean, what do you think? 
I would say in all of all time, right? It's one of the most controversial decisions when you think about it. Like Cena not putting them over in a SummerSlam. But wouldn't you say it's like one of the most controversial wrestling like conspiracies out there? It gave it gave the anti Cena people more fuel to say that he buries people, he holds people down. Cena isn't he's all about himself. He's all about the future of the you know himself, not the actual company. And in reality, I'm like, like here's how I see Kevin. You look at the Nexus. Cena puts over the Nexus. Okay, is you you want Heath Slater to be your top guy? You want Michael Tarver, Justin Gabriel? You you want those guys to be carrying the company for the next ten years? Like I get Wade Barrett is the, the exception. Wade Barrett could have been like a several time like world champion as like a heel. I get it. And Cena beat him and I guess ruined his career, I guess. But was Wade Barrett all that? You know, he was good. Definitely had the look. He was decent at promos. But was Cena beating them at SummerSlam, Kevin, really the end of the world and as dramatic as people made it seem? Yeah, I think he was the end of the world. Like, I've done a video on it. Some of the other YouTubers have done a video on it. This has been a podcast discussion forever. The anti-Cena guys will insist that Otunga, Justin Gabriel... Heath Slater, Bray Wyatt, all these guys were going to be future stars, especially Wade Barrett. And I, I look at Wade Barrett, my question always comes down to it. You're in an American company, and we're seeing this with Drew McIntyre now. What I always said about Wade Barrett back then, we're seeing with McIntyre. But McIntyre is like his heavy accent doing his Scottish t- tales. People laugh at it. You have Wade Barrett out there in, in, in a, a British accent. It's not going to work long term. You know, it, it could work as like the evil foreign heel. That could work. But you're going to have Wade Barrett out there as a babyface, like screaming in, in his British accent. Like, it's just, it wouldn't work in an American company. You know, it just, I, I mean, I, I, you know, it just is what it is. But Cena, he, he should have put over Nexus. I think he'll never admit it, obviously. But I think everybody else knows. Like, we've seen Edge and Jericho famously discuss this on a podcast where they told Cena that he did the wrong thing. And they were telling him to put it over, put them over and... I mean, it is what it yeah. is. Like people complain about it, and they make it such a big deal. I don't think it's that big of a deal, and it, it could have extended Wade Barrett's career. Like they should have. Oh, in, in hindsight, Cena should have just put them over. It was like what you had Super Cena beat like what four of the guys in the, in a multi man match or three of the guys at once. Yeah, the seven on the, the seven, on seven. Yeah, like the, that one I do agree with. I mean, for the sake of the angle, Cena should have lost at SummerSlam because I mean, you look at like Team WWE, which you know Cena was. Leading, it's like our truth, John Morrison, a 60 year old Brad Hart. You know, you got yeah, Jericho and Edge, and like Cena could have absolutely still beaten four of the Nexus guys. And Wade Barrett clocks him from behind with a bull hammer or a, you know, whatever his finishing move was, the um, wasteland or whatever, and just pinned him, right? You know, that, that he just done that, like that wouldn't have really hurt him if Cena still gets his stuff in. Wade Barrett wins, then the credibility of the Nexus, you know, goes up exponentially. But instead, Cena just won. I was like, well, this angle's been gone for four more months and the Nexus haven't beaten him once. Like, why should we really care? That was the thing. Why should you care? You've got, like, corny segments where you have John Cena in a hotel room spookily looking for Jennifer Hudson's husband, David Otunga. And David Otunga pops out of a closet. I'm sorry, Cena pops out of a closet or, like, at the door. He's, like, creepily staring at David Otunga and he he beats up Otunga. We just get these corny segments. You got like Cena, or I'm sorry, CM Punk in a Nexus t-shirt getting beat up by Cena. It's like, I don't know. Like the Nexus, I think it's overrated with hindsight. You look at the crop of talent that was involved with Nexus, Barrett, Brian, Wyatt, 
some of those guys obviously went on to be big stars. Uh, but I just don't think it was that big of a deal, man. Honestly, it gets so overblown. It's the one flaw against Cena, though. Like, it's the one time where Cena truly buried people. Because the whole rap on Cena is, oh, he buries young talent. Aside from Wade Barrett and Alex Riley, who did Cena bury? Uh, like, like let's let's address this. Who did Cena bury aside from those two guys? I'll ask you. Kevin, I'm, I'm the wrong person to ask because I'm vehemently same side as you. People who still look at Cena and be like, he buried a bunch of up-and-coming young period. Please give me examples of guys who could legitimately have been like real stars. Because people are always going to say, Cena buried Dolph Ziggler. Or Cena buried Rusev. Cena buried Kevin Owens. Cena buried Bray Wyatt. Okay, the Bray Wyatt one's ticky-tack. WWE's booking buried Bray Wyatt just long Cena thing. The fact that the 30th annual WrestleMania, I mean, we'll talk about this in a minute, but yeah, as far as we've seen the buried, I mean, I'd even debate the Alex Riley one. I mean, what was Alex Riley going to do in the company? He was prototype WWE guy three. Like, we talk about Cena being prototype one, you know, before. Alex Riley was just prototype white jack guy with no charisma who wore trunks. What more is there to him? You know, what about that's going to be a legitimate star? So, uh, personally, I'd say the only contentious burial was the Wade Barrett one, and even then, like, questionable. Okay, can we talk about the Rusev one for a second? Like, I've seen people make the argument, and you could, ar- I think you could argue that Cena buried Rusev, because Rusev really, realistically, no, realistically he, he never no. was the same after that Cena match. But what, what was the life expectancy of Rusev's gimmick? It's his gimmick belong in 1985. If Rusev came out in a Bulgarian anti-American gimmick and confronted Hulk Hogan, Rusev would have been one of the biggest stars in WWF history. But you put that gimmick in 2015, and you put it against John Cena with his United States Championship t- uh, red, white, and blue T-shirt, and everybody knows wrestling's fake. What is, what is the life expectancy of Rusev's gimmick? What is Rusev doing now? He's playing video games with Darby Allen. On, on Dynamite, on live TV, throwing Ricky Starks into a, a, a ping pong machine. Uh, what is that? A gumball machine? Like, what the hell is he doing now? Like, God, you know, I mean, I, I, you could you could make the argument. I'll listen to it if you if you want to debate me that Cena buried Rusev. I'll listen to that. Rusev came out on a body tank at WrestleMania in front of 75,000 people and had a match with John Cena, the biggest star of the last 10 years in the company. I, I, I don't care that Cena won the match. I think the whole point of, oh my God, well, Cena won this match, therefore burial. That's not what a burial is because someone won a, a match that Vince McMahon wrote up in a creative meeting three weeks prior. That's not a, a burial is like when Dean Ambrose was on his way out the door and they're like, oh, we're going to have you lose and job out to Nia Jax. Yeah. We're going to have EC3 hasn't been on TV in nine months just beat you over and over on Raw. That's a burial. Having Rusev come out in a tank with Lana in front of 75,000 people and have a good 15-minute match for the US title with Cena how is that a burial? Same with Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt has this big epic storyline of Cena. Oh, I'm going to end Cena's legacy. I'm going to, you know, put his, the nail in his coffin, so to speak. I'm going to end Cena. They do the big, you know, video package to legacy. 75,000 people at WrestleMania. WrestleMania 30. Cena wins the match. And, you know, like, Kevin, I'm, I'm, well, well, the, I'm the other side of the argument for Rusev would be, well, <clears throat> Cena, <laughs> Cena could, could have done a lot better at WrestleMania 31 than Russell Rusev. Like you could argue that Rusev is not on Cena's level, and they should even have had the match. Yeah, and, and you know I'm on the it's side. Like, it was trying to have a match and put him over. Like, anyway. I'm on the side of Cena didn't bury very many people. Uh, I mean, who who else gets argued? Like you said, Ziggler. 
but let's debunk the Ziggler, the Ziggler one real quick. In 2021, Dolph Ziggler is still cashing checks from Vince McMahon. All right. All right. Bottom line. Like, that was, what, 2012 when Cena beat Ziggler in a cage match after Ziggler had him down and out and Big E interfered and AJ Lee interfered and my mom interfered and Randy Orton's girlfriend interfered. Cena beat Ziggler when he was down, when Cena was down and out, did the whole Super Cena crap. Ziggler's still cashing checks nine years later. It's okay. Everything's fine. Ziggler's still getting paid handsomely. He's getting paid $500,000 a year. To come out and scream, it should have been me with with, with um what's his name Bobby Roode with his porn. How did Cena? How did Cena negatively alter Dolph Ziggler's career timeline? What was in, when Dolph Ziggler's sick fantasy? What, what was the company gonna be if he didn't clunk or get buried by Cena? If Dolph Ziggler coming out calling out Dwayne Johnson for <laughs> a big match at WrestleMania oh, twenty nine, you have Dolph Ziggler having a four hundred day WWE title run. What, what do you think that's gonna do to your viewing audience? Obviously, you, you people who watch wrestling. For their own sick satisfaction, will enjoy that, and they'll go through a few pairs of underwear watching it. But outside of that, what, what's the general casual audience going to think? You turn on watching Dolph Ziggler calling out Dwayne Johnson. You think the, the Rock's going to ever come back to wrestling <laughs> if that's what we get? Like, honestly. And then, and then Kevin, another one. I've seen people say, "I've seen buried our truth." What? I'm like, I'm sorry, what? what? <laughs> I've seen this one. So Cena wouldn't put over our truth at Capital Punishment in 2011. Cena didn't put over our truth in the feud against Awesome Truth. Like, Bro. I'm sorry. Artrude's gimmick is that he's a low card comedy gimmick. And the fact that Cena, the top guy, Hulk Hogan of this era, didn't lose to that guy. Who ca- you didn't see people saying Hulk Hogan buried Coco Beware, but oh, now, now Cena wins the match against Artrude. Oh, Cena buried him. Bruh, like, get out of here. And then the yeah. Kevin Owens one. Look, Kevin Owens beat John Cena in his first pay per view, his pay per view debut. In that is ridiculous, bro. He beat John Cena clean in the middle of the ring, shoulders to the mat, one, two, three. The f- you're going to say Kevin Owens? Come on. Like, like, bro. Kevin Owens is still cashing checks. Kevin Owens is still having main event pay-per-view matches. Whenever WWE needs somebody to main event a pay-per-view, they pluck Kevin Owens in. So he's still doing well for himself. He's stealing moves of, like, the greatest wrestlers ever. Like, <laughs> just... Oh, God. Yeah, wow. I'm just... I- I, I hate, I hate the the Cena buried this guy. I hate that narrative. I, I really it, it bothers me. Yeah, the only ones you know, like Wade Barrett questionably, but even then you kind of you de- you debunked that before, and then that's really it. I mean, because the guys Cena was beating in these matches, they have they have ceilings. Like uh, people online and on Twitter can make it seem as though Dolph Ziggler, if he never lost to Cena, was going to be some. Big time mainstream star, but it's just cap. Like he wasn't. Like the like Cena, he got Ziggler got the match with Cena. Rusev got the match with Cena. White got the match with Cena. Maybe Bray a bit less, but like Owens got the match with Cena, and they always had ceilings. They're always good upper mid card wrestlers. They're not the guys, you know. They're not the guys who you're gonna build the next ten years of your company around. You're gonna have Dolph Ziggler going on Larry King defending WWE after a big tragedy. You're not gonna have that. You're not gonna have Dolph Ziggler. Being like, just Larry King's like, so, so Dolph, all wrestlers are roid rage meatheads who kill their wives. What do you make about that? I, I deserve better. I pull this off every week. I'm the best oh in the world. God. Like, like, bro, you're not going to have that. Like, you just get out of here. Get oh, out of here. All right, let's move on for this topic before we go even more off the rails. <laughs> all right, so but that's, well, I guess going off the rails, here we go. It's 2011 now. We're fresh off a scene of burying the Nexus, ruining them oh, forever. God. 
And here we go. What happens now? And uh, just you talk about it because I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna set the table. I'll, I'll just let you talk, and I'll chime in when I feel it's necessary. Yeah. So Cena's just finished dropping uh, 150 chairs on Wade Barrett to close 2010. I'm um, a TLC, and then Cena finishes his uh kind of burial of Wade Barrett and the Nexus. So Cena finishes that, and he moves into 2011, where we get a masterful, masterful program and storyline with. John Cena and the Maz in the main event of WrestleMania 27. This is something which I know you've been very open about your disdain for many a time. You've got the Miz coming out, pushing pull floats that say, what, I'm awesome. You've got Miz in the main event of WrestleMania having a match with Cena. This match, if you if you had this in the middle of uh, an episode of Raw in 2011, people wouldn't bat an eyelid. But instead, this is the main event of WrestleMania. You've got The Rock out there. Um, the Rock hits a rock bottom on Cena. The referees just look out like, oh, okay. And then Miz just pins Cena. Um, and yeah, Kevin, um, do you want to chime in anything yeah, on this yeah. one? Or I'll, do you I'll, 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 be, I'll be objective for 30 seconds because I'm not even going to go on the Miz rant. I'm done. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to hear a Miz rant, I have like 100 million of them on my channel. Just check them out. Um. I said before that 08 was the year to have Cena Orton main event WrestleMania. I take that back. 2011 was the year to have Cena Orton one-on-one main event WrestleMania. If there was ever a year to do it, it was 2011. And that, that's yeah. all I'll say. I'll, I'll leave you with that. Yeah, that's a point. I mean, because I've made this case a bunch. I was rushed over really quickly. I mean, you could have yeah, done Cena and Punk in that Money in the Bank storyline at WrestleMania. So Punk gets his main event because, I mean, Punk compared to Rock, star-wise, is nowhere near him, so it would have still worked out. But when Rock interferes and costs Cena, it would have worked. But at the same time, that would have taken away the magic of Money in the Bank. And I think everything about that Money in the Bank build and match should have been left as is. And I think the fact that he had Miz here, Miz was just a guy for State. That's all he was. I mean, Miz was just a guy. There's, there's nothing special about Mike Mizan, and he's just a mid-carder. So, yeah, that's the thing there. Cena beats Miz. Um, I guess we move on with uh, the rest of 2011 now. Yeah, now it's your favorite time. I'll let you take it. The Cena oh, yeah. Feud. Yep, the Summer of Punk. This one, I made a video on about two weeks ago about how you know, you've been lied to about this time period. I think what I want to objectively say is that this was a great time period as far as giving us, I guess, edgy wrestling segments for the wrestling audience to sink their teeth into. Because, you know, let's be real with this, Kevin. Cena's run as top guy... It was easy for young kids and, you know, soccer mums and all these people to sing their teeth into and really enjoy watching Cena beat Miz or watching Cena beat Wade Barrett. But for much of the wrestling audience who love tried and true indie shoot wrestling, who love watching wrestlers who know more moves than you can count, having opportunities in WWE, it wasn't the best time to be a fan. You have Cena for a year and a half, two years, beating everybody like Randy Orton, Miz, Barrett, etc., so when Sam Punk comes along and says, I'm the voice of the voiceless, this company will be better when Vince McMahon's dead, and then they'll be taken over by his idiotic daughter and his doofus son-in-law, the rest of his stupid family, I'm the best on this microphone, in this ring, even a commentary. Like, if Punk come along being like, I've worked on the indies, I'm better than everyone, that made a bunch of fans be like, oh, hello, this, this is something different. Because, Kevin, we'd seen the anti-Cena bit done before. This wasn't the first anti-Cena bit, but this was the most real the anti-Cena thing ever got. 
It was the first time the anti-Cena thing ever got this real and it created a buzz. It created a spark. Money in the Bank did really good pay-per-view buys that year. Um, that's objective. And yeah, just generally fun time period. What do you think? Yeah, uh, honestly, you can make the case that this is that Punk was John Cena's best feud. Uh, I would listen to it. It's the you know hundred percent debatable for me. It's always going to be Edge or AJ Styles. I put them one two, but this Punk, I just you know, I mean, it was great. It was good stuff. This guy kind of got me back into wrestling, and then you had Kevin Nash like tearing his quad and Triple H pedigree Punk, and I, I was gone again. Yeah, then I, I, yeah, I was gone again, but. Yeah, I mean, this was a great time to be a wrestling fan. Another era of Cena. This was, the like you said, the anti-Cena stuff turned up to a million notches. But really, this is more about Punk than it is about Cena. So I'll just say this. Money in the Bank 2011 five-star match. Unbelievable. And then what we got after that was interesting where Vince is firing oh, John Cena. And, okay. You know, Vince yeah. is firing John Cena. Then you got like Cena and Punk both being champions with their, their toy belts and yeah, not much else really notable about 2011. Like, I mean, I think now it's to go time to go to 2012. Really, yeah, because I mean, I think the scene. I just want to mention the after the Money in the Bank stuff. I mean, Cena was oh God. I mean, where does Cena rank in this shovel? Because WWE in this time period, the main event scene just Del Rio was given the belt, even though he was like an after. The main event was Triple H as there's like the COO who everyone hated. So we had babyface COO Triple H. <laughs> Kevin Nash was there, I guess, being buddies and then enemies of Triple H randomly, which we just had to see. CM Punk, who was supposedly the, the, the hottest guy at the time, reaction-wise, was just thrown into the scuffle somewhere. Cena was just the guy who was just in there. And then you had Awesome Truth running around. It was, it was a mess. It was a hot mess. So you finish that. Cena rounds out 2011. He doesn't even compete at TLC 2011. And then we get to 2012, Kevin. A bit of embrace the hate, and then once in a lifetime. Where do you want to begin with this? Yeah, let, let me just say this is what happened in 2011. It was like Vince McMahon and you know all the people in charge. They were just like, all right, we're going to tread water until we get to Cena Rock. We'll let Punk run around with his belt, call himself the best in the world. We'll shut him up, stop him from complaining. They didn't even do that. Then, they didn't even do that. They didn't even do that. Yeah, they put the belt <laughs> on him in November. It was like, oh, well, you know, we'll just let him. Oh yeah, yeah tread right, water. Right. They, then they do the Cena Miz crap. I'm not even talk about that the scene is our truth rock stuff <laughs> there's, there's nothing really there to talk about you've got you got the, the greatest of all time in the ring with a microphone in his hand and the new york crowd is chanting for zach Ryder. i'm gonna ah, give myself a heart attack talking about this oh so, my god i'll skip all the embrace the hate crap you got if you really want to go back and see it if you really want to go back and relive Zack Ryder in a wheelchair getting thrown off the stage by Kane <laughs> while Cena's in the ring holding hands with AJ Lee. Be my guest, but I will not I will not relive that. I'm not into it. So let's talk about Cena Rock. I mean, no, I need to know. We need to... I, I want to just run over it. I want to bluntly describe what Embrace the Hate was. Embrace the Hate was a seven-foot-tall, 300-pound man in a big, scary red mask telling Cena to embrace the hate as Zack Ryder was being pushed off the stage Already in a neck brace in a wheelchair, being pushed off the stage to his death. You had Cena making out with Eve Torres just so Zack Ryder could be heartbroken. You had Kane pulling Cena under rings and putting him into the depths of hell. Then you had Cena having a, a, a count out with Kane at the Rumble and then an ambulance match at the Chamber and the Elimination Chamber pay per view ends with ambulance sirens playing as Cena drives off with Kane and just Kevin. Uh, this I remember watching this as an eight-year-old, thinking like, like, what am I watching? 
like, I, like at that time, I wanted to say Shane Rock more than anything because that was like the big match. And then you just had this just fill a crap in the way. But anyway, moving on, moving on. Yes, please. Once please five, on. Walk through this. Walk Once through this. Miami, Florida, The Rock's hometown. WrestleMania 28. The biggest WrestleMania since. There's been, since this WrestleMania, there's nothing to stop this. John Cena Rock, once in a lifetime. This was legitimately like you thought, okay, this is The Rock's final match. The Rock will never wrestle again. And then we know what happened after that. But at the time, you thought, The Rock will never wrestle again. This is it. This is The Rock making his triumphant return. He's doing what he said he would always do, come back home. The biggest star of WWE today versus the biggest star from yesterday going at it. It was like, wow, lightning in a bottle. Goosebumps. It's one of those things that you remember exactly where you were when you watched it. I remember just sitting home eating pizza watching this. Yeah, the WrestleMania 28, the show starts with Daniel Bryan and Sheamus, and my dad is like yelling at me in Spanish about why I made I made him spend sixty dollars on a pay per view that had a match end in thirteen seconds. And then <laughs> you know we get we get Punk and Jericho, where Jericho's like pouring alcohol on Punk in the promo package on the build up. Jericho's talking about Punk's father. How his father was an alcoholic. After oh, all that stuff, we got Triple H and Shawn Michaels and Undertaker crying. Then we finally we get there. Kelly got the great match with um Kelly Kelly and Maria Menounos against uh, Beth Phoenix and Abe. Oh, yeah, Don't forget a, that. That's another one where I got yelled at for asking for this pay per view. Um, oh, when uh, Cody Rhodes uh, lost to the Big Show. Big Show had his WrestleMania moment. Shoot his WrestleMania record up to three wins, eight losses, pal. Like, <laughs> oh God, yeah. And you're having a 10-minute match with Kane on the second match of the show. <laughs> yeah, so we finally limp ahead to the finish line. And we got John Cena walking down to the ring, being played to the ring by MGK. You got The Rock yeah. coming down to the ring. And it's like, wow, this is like Mayweather Pacquiao. This is, you know, this is Tyson, For- whatever, uh, Ali Foreman. Just crazy. Like, this is the biggest match, arguably, in WWE history right here. It was unbelievable. Just an unbelievable environment. And it talked to us. Oh my, yeah. There's nothing really has been like this. Like, I remember I made the video on this, like the magic that was like once in a lifetime. I think the opening line I use is like, wrestling is not about good matches, it's about dream matches, which I think really, you know, this proves it more than anything. This was never going to be a, a bell-to-bell classic, but it was the spectacle of it. It was the grandeur. It was the the entertainment of it all. It was Rock visiting Boston, throwing Cena God Gnomes into the river. It was... Rock saying in front of a statue, cutting a promo about how Cena's a disgrace to the legacy of America. And, like, you know, Rock's doing these hilarious bits. He's doing some of his most creative one-liners ever about Cena. You know, he's... Oh, and Cena's coming out there being the Doctor of Thugonomics one week, talking about how he'll rise above the hate of The Rock the next week. Crowd's booing him. Crowd's cheering. It was just... It was amazing. Like, we got through Embrace the Hate with Cena being a simp for Eve Torres. We got through all of that. And then we get to this and it was just, what it was like, Oh yeah. And then, I mean, we'll talk about the next year momentarily, but like, yeah, it was just everything about it. It was the stage as well. Like Miami, Florida, Mania 28. Just, it, it just clicked. Yeah. It just worked. Cause I mean, comparing this to rock and Hogan, it's very similar. Rock and Hogan had about three weeks build though. That was the one thing like the build for rock and Hogan was, the NWO crashing a truck into Rock's, like, bus. That was legit the build. But this, it was like, you had a year of build off and on. You had Punk mentioning Rock in promos in a passive-aggressive, it should have been me type way. And you had Cena being like, I'm wrestling Dwayne, I'm going to overcome the hate. And I mentioned, yeah, Rock throwing God gnomes in a river. Just brilliant. Brilliant. 
Yeah, I mean, you had like, you had rock like in Boston, <laughs> like like you said, throwing stuff, throwing garden gnomes in the river, calling Cena fruity pebbles. Just you had just iconic stuff, man. You had Cena being like, yeah, rock. I think says the thing with the man that's so brilliant. Rock knew absolutely how to get the disenfranchised eighteen to forty nine male fan like involved and like turn them to anti Cena. So Rock made all the anti Cena people want to see the buy the pay per view, pay sixty bucks to watch Cena get beaten, and then Cena made all the people, all the little kids, the the moms, the families want to see Cena rise above hate and beat the you know the main Rock. Like it was just this got everyone involved somehow. Or if you didn't, didn't care, you just want to see Rock and Cena the biggest wrestling match in the ten years. Like it was just phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you said it. Um... The rest of 2012, we get the Cena redemption story. Uh, you got Cena Brock, actually. We have to talk about this. The night after WrestleMania 28, the Monday Night Raw after, Brock Lesnar makes his triumphant return to WWE, and he confronts John Cena. Really an, an underrated moment where Brock Lesnar goes to shake Cena's hand, and Cena's like, oh, hey, Brock, and then he gets F5. And then we proceed to have an MMA match like three weeks later at Extreme Rules where they... I mean, Brock just beat the ever-living shit out of Cena, and Cena somehow won. And it was like... And it's like, you know, you're telling us... Then WB's telling us six months later, oh, look how down bad Cena is. He can't beat The Rock. CM Punk Bro, that was so bad. Him. Yeah, it's oh. like, wait, but this guy beat Brock Lesnar in, like, in a legitimate fight where Brock, like, broke him open the hard way. You're telling us that Cena's down bad, but whatever, I, I digress. Um, 2012, what else does Cena do? He had some good matches oh, with Punk. I have a quick rant. I'll never forget this. This eight-year-old me watching... Actually, oh, I was nine by this point. I was watching WB Experience. This is April of 2012. They're doing the whole scene is down bad. His, his personal life's falling apart. His professional life's falling apart. He couldn't beat Dwayne Johnson in a match, which everyone was watching. And then I, I will never forget this. We have John Cena versus Lord Tensai on Raw. We have Matt Bloom... A 300-pound man with Japanese tattoos all over his face beating Cena clean in a match on Raw. And then this set up Cena versus Laronitis at um, Over the Limit 2012 in a match that infamously made evented over Punk and Bryan for the WWE title. Um, I'll never forget that. I just Watching Cena down horrendous, you had Big Show getting like embarrassed on Raw because Big Show was caught impersonating John Laronitis backstage segment and then John Laronitis is, you know, like, oh, how dare you impersonate me? Like, I, I can't do Laronitis, but yeah, John Laronitis, you know, embarrassing Big Show. This is all part of Cena's redemption somehow. And your pay per views closing with Big Show sobbing in the ring, punting <laughs> Cena. Like, bro, what, what is this, bro? Like, yeah, that was, I mean, the Lord Ted side thing, I, you remember, you brought me back to that. Wow. I will never forget where I was. I was, I remember sitting like on my carpet in my living room watching that. Being like, oh, who is this three hundred pound Japanese guy, and why is he beating Cena? Like, just... it was such a joke. This was uh, a train. This was a train beating John Cena in the middle of the ring on Raw. <laughs> a train. Matt Bloom. This is the guy who his gimmick in two thousand three was that he had a hairy back, and he was the one who was in twenty twelve, a month after Cena had just. Had this bet, you know, biggest match ever with The Rock. This guy was beating Cena near near enough clean on Raw. All, all that happened was Lauren Itis walked out and Cena just lost. This this was terrible. And then, I mean, no way out. Cena 
eight, like won a cage match against Big Show, and then Vince was there yelling, you're fired at John Laronitis, and then Cena won Money in the Bank, and it was going to be redemption for Cena. Cena won a Money in the Bank match that featured Kane, Big Show, who broke a ladder rung because he was obese, <laughs> and Miz. And then Cena won a fatal four-way Money in the Bank match, and then, Kevin, Cena announced his cash-in for Raw 1000, Kevin. What, what happens next, pal? Uh, we get CM Punk turned heel. <laughs> CM Punk turned heel on The Rock. GTS The Rock. And yeah. Yep. That's what we got. Yep. We got a, we got a, what was it at the time? A 40 year old Hollywood movie star yet having a fake wrestling move executed upon him by a tattoo parlor. By a tattoo, I don't even know how you say ah, that. I just butchered that. By a tattoo yeah, artist. Tattoo from Chicago. Like a, like a harmless tattoo connoisseur. <laughs> yeah, he, like, just, he just executed a fake wrestling move on the biggest movie star in, in Hollywood history. And on, the, on the middle of the ring, on a three-hour Raw, in the hardest <laughs> of the summer in 2012. That, that's what we got. It was Cena yeah. cashed in. That, that's what WWE gave us. Like, I'm, I'm watching that. I'm like, bro, are you kidding me, bro? Like, like we can't even cheer CM Punk now. At least when he was a babyface and Vince was like, here, you can be the upper mid-card champion, run around, defend your title against Brian. We could cheer him. Now it's like, we have to boo him now? Like, come on, bro. Like, can I, can I ask something? Then we got all the... Then, uh, I'm not even... I don't want to go into it. Look what happened to SummerSlam. Like I mentioned a moment ago, Cena was like like the fifth wheel, lost in the, the shuffle of everything. Look where Cena was for SummerSlam 2012. Obviously, you made event in that show with the perfect storm. You got Triple H and Brock, I'm sure, whatever. Then you've got Cena involved in this weird storyline where, like, AJ Lee is, I guess, in love with CM Punk and Brian's getting cucked out in the storyline and Big Show's still feuding with Cena, even though Cena beat Big Show three months prior at No Way Out. And then Cena's involved against Punk and Big Show's there and AJ Lee's the GM skipping around everywhere. Brian's still upset. Now Brian's in a tag team with Kane and... There's this whole, it's so, it's so convoluted, it's so messy. You get through SummerSlam, we get Cena and Punk at Night of Champions, awesome match in Boston. Punk's wearing the Yankee pinstripes, just hilarious. And then Cena gets hurt, and then really you, you wind up, Kevin, back to 2013. And Punk Rock 2, I'm oh, sorry, Cena Rock 2, pal. Yes, yeah, so let's please go to 2013, please. I'm done talking about 2012. Easy, easy. I'll, I'll, I can just run you through. I'll just yeah, go ahead. Set, you've got. John Cena, he's had this horrible year. He's been down horrendous. Lord Tensai's beaten him on Roy's. Lost the pay-per-view main event versus John Laronitis. Cena, he's, he's down horrible. He, isn't, he just isn't making the most money in the company and being the biggest star and the face. He's, forget all that. Cena's down horrible. Um, he, he lost to Ziggler at a, money, a meaningless TLC pay-per-view. He's lost six WWE title matches. He's been an afterthought. Roll into 2013, he wins the Rumble, pal. Um, he, but he tosses Ryback out of the ring. He quote-unquote buries Ryback to win the Rumble. Um, and then that sets up Cena versus Rock 2, twice in a lifetime. Um, Cena's redemption, I don't think anyone thought Rock would win this match. Um, I think most people either thought Punk should have been involved in the match somehow or that they shouldn't have done the match altogether. Um, so, yeah, Kevin, like, what do you think of this? Um, the, the, I just wasn't invested. I remember hearing, oh, Rock's coming back. Oh, they're going to do something different. Okay, we'll get Rock versus Punk. Whatever. We'll get Rock versus Triple H. We'll get Rock versus Rock. Rock. Yeah, Yeah, we'll get something. Rock versus Undertaker. Who knows? Then it's like, oh, wait. We're going to get Cena versus Rock. Wait. They just wrestled once in a lifetime the year before. Now we're getting twice in a lifetime. Oh, great. 
And it was like, it was so predictable. It was like, you knew Cena was going to win. Um, it was just, it was a match that WWE did so that people on Good Morning America can talk about WWE for 30 seconds. And ESPN can talk about WWE for 30 seconds. Like, that legitimately is the only reason. So Rock could be, like, at an award show accepting an award for one of his movies and be like, I can't wait to beat up that Fruity Pebble John Cena in two weeks at WrestleMania. Like, that's really all they was done for. was It was a publicity stunt. It's a long way of me saying it. It was a publicity stunt. Other than that, I really have nothing else to say about it. The match wasn't good. I think, was this the one that Rock got hurt in? Or was that the first one? Yeah, he, he, he tore his... Oh, I forget what he did. He tore something five minutes in. He tells a story about this. How, like, you know, he, I remember I remember watching some, like, motivational speech with The Rock that he gave to the LA Lakers, like, three years ago. He was like, yeah, when I'm five minutes into a match where 80,000 people are live, the world's watching, you can't let the team down. You have to push through. And In other words, Rock tore his something, like, five minutes in and had a mediocre match. Hmm? I think he tore his pec. Let me look it up. Probably did, but, yeah, so... He, he injures himself. They have this 25-minute match. Cena just wins with an... Oh, was it an AA? I think it's he just won. And then they do the big moment, Kevin, to close the show. Rock's pointing at Cena. This is the guy. This is the guy who's oh, the he, champion. Oh, and he Kevin. Tore his ab- he tore his abdomen and adductor muscles. Wow. Jesus. God, that, that did him for good. Jesus. Um. Yeah, so then, Kevin, I know... How entrenched as a fan were you in this time period, the Mania 29 time period? Because this is when I was, like, obsessed. I was fully involved. And the hate scene that got here was ridiculous, dude. Yeah, I was like, I was pretty I was pretty invested. I was, I was, like, I wasn't watching every single week, but I was paying attention. Like, I was watching YouTube videos and reading the dirt sheets and stuff. I was keeping up. I would watch if something was, was interesting. But, yeah, to say I was watching every week would be a lie. Uh, this was, I believe, Cena Ryback, right? We got that where Ryback turned yeah. heel. And not, not to almost well, hijack the podcast, but because of how entrenched I was with the fan, like, fandom at the time, I just want to tell the story of this one. I remember watching Good Mike work literally the week after Mania 29, did a 20 minute rant on his YouTube channel all about how the Cena hate is ridiculous and the fans are just, you know, just out of line nowadays. And it was all because at, at the time, the whole narrative of Cena is a horrible person. He's been on top for eight years now. I'm sick of Cena. Boo, he can't wrestle. This was, Mania, after Mania 29 was the apex of the anti-Cena. The hate that he was getting was ridiculous. And then you have, I mean, Good Michael was yelling about for 20 minutes. Like, what would people rather see than this right now? What could WWE do? You, you take Cena off the show, then what? You get Brodus Clay and the Funkadactyls dancing in the ring for a whole segment. Like, like what are you supposed to do? Like, Cena's a bad person because he's, you know, with a Susan G. Komen woman or ambassador in the ring on Raw for five minutes. What would you rather see? A, a four-minute match with Tyson Kidd and Mason Ryan? Like, what was there besides Cena at this time? So, yeah, I mean, you get Cena and Ryback, Kevin. This was just not very good. It was not. It, it was, I mean, what, what do you think of this first? I thought it was funny that the whole storyline was based on, like, bullying. <laughs> like, Ryback's his bully heel. And then WWE's pushing this anti-bully campaign. Like on like commercials, I'm just like, bro, okay, whatever. Um, I remember Cena coming out with the championship. Are there, John? Yeah, go on. Yeah, I remember Cena coming out with the championship every single week, and he would be just he'd hold the belt up and he'd put that that mean face on, and he'd walk through the crowd and he'd eat the booze. And yeah, this was probably this was probably the apex of the Cena hate because the moment was so was so just whitewashed, forced where the Rock like. He lifts Cena's arm up, hands him the belt, they hug, and it's like, like, come on, like, bro, come on. 
we don't need to see this, bro. Like we know you guys don't like each other in real life. We know this. We heard the interviews. We we know the tension is there. There was just so much there. Uh, the Ryback feud. It was eh, whatever. I don't really He's remember dead. much from 2013. I, I don't remember much. I just remember really the only thing I remember from Cena's career is the WrestleMania 30 match with brought with Wyatt. Like that's yeah. where my mind picks up. Like they had they did the the crap where he was given the belt at TLC. Yeah, or he they had the uh, they had uh, the match with Orton uh, where they unified the belts, whatever. The biggest match in WWE history at TLC twenty thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> that's pathetic. Yeah, nah, so yeah, the Ryback stuff, I mean, Cena wins the three stages of Hell Match at um payback. That feud ends. Um Cena then wins oh, he's, he has the WWE title match with Mark Henry. That's worth mentioning. Mark Henry Simon's speech. Cena comes out and goes, you can't see me, Jack. And then Mark Henry just punches him. Um, so Cena beats Mark Henry. And then from there, they really fast forward to Mania 30, pal. So yeah, we'll go to there. Let's go. Yeah, that's the Mania 30. So you've got <sighs> really an interesting time to be a wrestling fan. The Bray Wyatt really catches fire. And he's doing, you know, the whole world in his hands. The fireflies, every arena Bray Wyatt walks into, you got just thousands of cell phone lights. And yeah, uh, I, yeah. I mean, it was just it was great because you've got Bray Wyatt, a guy who, I mean, he was cool. I mean, the Wyatt family was different, stood out. They stuff the Shield, and then you get to WrestleMania. And I mean, we alluded to it before: Cena trying to end the legacy, or sorry, Wyatt trying to end the legacy of Cena. You got Cena looking, you know, he's washing his face in a mirror. He looks up, and then there's a sheet mask, and he turns around, it's not there. Like stuff like that. I mean, it reminded me of. When they're doing that with um Austin back at you know 2001, he's like looking in the mirror and stuff like that. It's just cool stuff. And then you get to Mania 30, match is all right. I mean, Cena looked like he was going to turn heel in the match, and they're telling that story, but he he stuck tried and true because hustle laws and respects the nation. Give me money. Like Cena stayed true to himself. He beat the evil Bray Wyatt and then put him through a box two pay per views later. Yeah, very confusing. <laughs> yeah, he literally buried Bray Wyatt like legit in a match. Literally buried him, but. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, one of the most botched angles, I would say, was Bray Wyatt's run. Like that, that was the peak of Bray Wyatt. Obviously, he's become the fiend, and he's still doing big things. But of the Bray Wyatt, the cult leader character, that was the peak, the Cena feud. After Cena beat him, it was like, oh, okay, he's just another guy now. Then he lost every single feud. He's, like, kissing Dean Ambrose. He, he got scared <laughs> Seth Rollins, like, looking at Bray Wyatt. Like, like Bray Wyatt is some spider, like, some evil demon spider. Yeah, whatever. The power. Oh, he's got the whole C Nation in his hands. They yeah. just, I remember when he had, Bray Wyatt had the arena seeing the whole world in his hands. And you have Cena in the ring doing like his emotional scene acting. I'll never forget watching like Bruce Blitz reviews on YouTube where he's got him in like a panel of like three grown men screaming about Cena's terrible acting. The Cena's <laughs> doing like the, like, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm confused acting as Bray Wyatt's got like a bunch of eight year olds in sheep masks singing whole world in his hands. Like, that was just. Classic pig WWE pal, but yeah, anything else you got on this? Interesting oh. stuff. I, I don't remember much of his 2014. It's another theme, another common theme. I just can't remember anything after Cena's WrestleMania run. Um, yeah. Hmm. I mean, as far as I mean, I can tell you what happened after that. So, I mean, after Mania 30, Cena, he wins the WWE title in his hometown of Boston and Money in the Bank because Brian stuffed his neck and couldn't wrestle. So Cena just wins and then gets abused by Brock at SummerSlam. Ah, yes. Brutally. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I remember now. I remember now. So, yeah, he wins the belt. And then it was like, oh, Cena's going to beat Brock. That's cool. 
you know, this Brock is the guy that ends the streak and then Cena's going to beat the guy that ended the streak. But no, Cena got demolished. Brock literally squashed him. And all the anti-Cena guys, they became Brock Lesnar fans for life at this moment. This very moment, Brock Lesnar earned millions and millions of fans from this very match. It was just like, it was shocking, honestly, to see this super Cena, the guy that literally buried Bray Wyatt, beat The Rock, just he's done this, that, he's done everything, like 19-time champion. It was just really amazing to see. Yeah, legit. Like, this whole time period was just crazy. Because, I mean, they did the SummerSlam match. That was supposed to be Brian, Daniel Bryan getting, like, his life ended by Lesnar, which, in a way, not that I kind of wish that happened, but that would have been fitting. You have Daniel Bryan holding a WWE title a few months, has a feud with Kane, what have you, a feud with the Authority, and then the Authority bring in Brock Lesnar, and Brock just assassinates Brian in the ring, 16 Germans, Brian gets paralyzed in the ring, that type of thing. Like, that would have been what they were going for, but Cena takes a spot. Cena's the great company guy. He agrees to it, gets destroyed, and then the next few months were weird, Kevin. They really were. It was Cena and Ambrose versus Rollins, Kane, and Orton every week for, like, four months, and you've got Cena and Team Cena versus the Authority at Survivor Series, and Ziggler's rolling up grown men, and Sting's getting involved, and... Cena's having a match with Rollins every week. It was just weird, dude. Yeah, it was. It was a weird time to be a wrestling fan. This, yeah, Brock Lesnar now, he's not on TV. It's clear that Roman Reigns is becoming the top guy. And then Cena is just kind of there. It was really where it was like, okay, they're starting to prepare for life after Cena at this point. Yeah. Rollins, Ambrose, Reigns, Wyatt. I think that's a great way to. I'm going to segue out and finish off this Elite Heat bio because this late 2014, after Cena got like assassinated by Lesnar, it was clear that I, I believe that was like the end of his errors. I, I think it's fair to say that from Mania 21 through SummerSlam 2014, that was Cena's run as far as like the definitive top star. And then after that, it was clear that Roman was the next guy. So in that regard, Kevin, I mean, anything else you want to touch on? Not really. Not really much else to say. I mean, just I mean, you want to talk about the banger match of twenty fifteen Royal Rumble. You want to save that for yeah, the next. We'll finish, that. we'll finish it that because I mean, we talked. We saw we have in the how you know almost grateful we are to have Cena nowadays. Now Cena's like like the savior and whatnot. And really, we'll talk about the time, which was the contrary. The twenty fifteen Royal Rumble, I believe, it was in Philadelphia. Uh, this I will never forget this. Is the triple threat match Brock Lesnar, Seth Rollins, John Cena, WB World Heavyweight Title? Cena, his music hits, Kevin, and the reaction is legitimately fourteen thousand people singing "John Cena sucks." Yeah, that that was the one where Cena comes out and he's like he's like yelling, right? He's all like giddy at everyone. He's like, "Oh, they hate me, Cenation." I think that was yes, the entrance. He, right, he's jumping around and then he's you can tell him right right away. He's like, "Oh, damn, this crowd doesn't like me." Like that, that 2015 Rumble crowd is probably my least favorite crowd of all time, but nonetheless, um, as far as, hmm? that's easily my least favorite. Easily, you know, they blow Those... the rock for God's sake. <sighs> Reigns isn't ready. We want Rusev, who's been in the. We're not going to start on this again. No, but no. yeah, that whole show, the crowd was hating Cena. No appreciation, Cena. We want guys like Rollins. We want Brian. Rock, Cena, these guys suck. Anyway, so we'll end it on that, Kevin. Cena receiving absolute hate at the 2015 Rumble. Just gross. 
Yeah, they had a banger match, though. Let's talk about that. Cena, Rollins, yeah. and Brock Lesnar. Triple threat match, Royal Rumble 2015. Seth Rollins coming out party, easily. One of the best matches in modern history. The last seven years, probably one of the top ten matches that took place in the WWE ring. This was three guys that just beat the ever-living hell out of each other. It was, I mean, truly, it was an amazing match. Go back and watch it if, you, if you've never seen it. Despite the crowd, I mean, the crowd wanted Rollins to win for some ungodly reason. But, yeah, Brock Lesnar wins, and it was a really good triple Rollins, match. Rollins knows more fake moves than Cena does, and Rollins has had better matches in P, um, PWG and RH, so, of course, that's why we're going to boo the biggest star in wrestling in the last 10 years. That's just, that just common sense, isn't it? Yeah. Like, God. That's how it pathetic. works. Anyway. Yeah, that's been, uh, I guess, well, I don't even know what we're titling this bio. That's been the uh, part one to the bio next week for Elite Hey Kevin. It's going to be a big one. We're going to finish off the scene of timeline from really the Rusev stuff through to right now with Roman Reigns and then what the future holds for Cena. I guess you can mention Cena's movies and whatnot. There, everything else Cena does, his legacy, all-time status, et cetera. So, yes. Kevin, stay hey, tuned next week for when we talk about how John Cena buried the top-tier talent of the likes of Rusev, Cesaro, and Kevin Owens. He buried Neville on the episode of Raw, damn it. <laughs>